Lord's room. Watch and report. I obey. There comes piling together. Oh, why didn't I realize? The examiner was right. They are evil. Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're exploring this classic series from the beginning to see what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're looking at The Power of the Daleks, the story that introduced Patrick Troughton as the second doctor. I'm your host, and I promise I am your servant. <laughs> sure, buddy. <laughs> My co-host is Guy, who had to buy a recorder for elementary school music class and hasn't touched one since. Hello, yeah, guy. <laughs> I may have touched it once or twice. Hello, Ron. <laughs> so you didn't, uh, you weren't taken by it, huh? Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, I def, I, I was not fond of the, uh, the timbre. Is that what they call it? The, uh, <laughs> it, it just didn't strike me as a really great instrument. And, and having watched these, well, I'll, we'll, I'll <laughs> talk about that when we get to it. Well, my. My music class story is that I was taking the drums for a couple of years and I would have went further. But when you, you know, when you're a kid in elementary school, your first year or two with the drums, you just have these little pads you buy, right? These little like, uh, mm. uh, they're not plastic, they're rubber essentially. And um, uh. at some point you had to upgrade to actual drums. And my family was poor and we called everywhere to see if we could rent, et cetera, but we just couldn't afford any. So my music career ended, yeah. and I now know nothing about music. So <laughs> that's a <laughs> Although, um, you know, <laughs> if your kid is going to be into something, I mean, you don't want it to be the drums. You don't want it to be the trumpet. Uh, you might be able to survive the recorder. You don't really want that. Actually, you know, yeah, I just <laughs> don't let your kid get into music. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Piano's good. Yeah. But those are expensive, too. Very expensive. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, some context for today. I mean, we had, uh, last week, not months ago, <laughs> we had the uh, uh, TV show The Invisible Man, where we got to see a couple minutes of Patrick Troughton. But not. But he was covered in makeup and, and made to look very sickly, so we didn't get too much sense of him from from that one. Well, we didn't. It was an animation too. We didn't even see the actor. No, I'm actually. I'm talking about face, the um, the Invisible Man episode that we right. watched with him in it. That wasn't it. Remember when? <laughs> is it too long ago for uh, you to remember? What What was it about? I <laughs> <laughs> um, remember it was that British TV series uh, about the Invisible oh, Man. Oh yeah. Oh, the one off. Sure, sure. Yeah. There, or I mean, it was part of a series, and we watched the one episode. That's right. Because yeah. yeah, he was he was in makeup for, uh, heavy for that one. That's right. Oh, it's all coming back to me. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was only last week. Come on. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, one thing I forgot to mention in that that was being our intro episode for Patrick Troughton is that one thing that's really consistent. You know, everybody's got their doctor, and usually their doctor is the first one that they saw. Which is not my in my case because I did not see um, Hartnell first, but he you know he is my favorite doctor. But yeah. Patrick Troughton is the one that actors always like, and and some of the mm. modern Doctor Who actors, especially a very popular one who kind of made Doctor Who popular again in the United States, is Matt Smith, and he didn't he hadn't even though he's British he had not watched Doctor Who, and so he 
watched a couple of Patrick Troughton episodes and that inspired him for how he was going to play it. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, he's not my favorite doctor, uh, but there's some fun things I think that'll come up and he grows on you, but, uh, but definitely is considered the, mm-hmm. kind of the actor's actor sort of thing. And, you know, Hartnell was happy to have him replace him because he respected him. Like everybody just respected him and, and seemed to like him. You know, he's, he's one of those guys who, uh, Nobody seemed to like have a bad word about him or anything, even though, you know, he huh. had multiple families and was screwing around. And all this yeah. stuff. Although mm. if I remember right, uh, you said that he, he treated his families pretty well. I mean, he wasn't like a deadbeat dad or anything. Right, right. Like in fact, he was, you know, he took on a lot of his acting jobs because he needed money to support multiple families. <laughs> so, yeah. And one of his future companions uh, who, who be- is, becomes kind of a companion throughout his whole series so he would drive around with him uh, and they'd go to different houses, you know, different houses and he would drop off checks. <laughs> but this was a real make or break for the series, right? Because nobody had done this before. Nobody had just changed the main character. And, and not only that, one that was very popular and that really defined the character, right? The, the producers may have been annoyed with Hartnell, but the, the kids really liked him. And oh, sure. So, you know, they didn't know if this was going to work. And if Patrick Troughton hadn't worked out, it just would have been the end of the series, right? They wouldn't have right. They wouldn't have done another regeneration or something. So, you know, I, I think we know how this one ended because we still have Doctor <laughs> Who today. So, <laughs> Yeah, we're on, what, number 13 now? Something Tell me like, like that. that. And they've <laughs> named a number 14 and 15. Yeah. I, I haven't, actually remember, haven't watched right? the last few, so... <laughs> Uh, but I've been, you know, dealing with classic Doctor Who and there was just too much of the new stuff. Oh, sure. So this was aired in 1966. All of it was lost at six episodes. Um, but it has, it was, in fact, right about the time we started this, uh, the podcast, uh, it came out as an animation. So at least we get that. It's really unfortunate not to be able to see his first one in live action. Now, because of the title, you know, the Daleks are in it. And I think, Personally, that's a mistake to me because, of course, what you want to do is, oh, we have a new doctor and we're going to bring our most popular enemy in so people will watch it. But the problem, of course, is that if the Daleks are in the story and, and you have a brand new doctor, they're going to kind of overshadow that, right? Not he does not going to have as much space to right. um, show his character. And also, the actor is always developing it and figuring it out, and they haven't had you know real time to... Um, to figure it out ahead of time. So they kind of have to do it on the fly. What they do in the, some of the modern series is they typically have the new doctor film the, like the second and third story first. Hmm. And then they go back and film the first one so that the first one he'll be in top shape, you know, and know what the character is and, and all that. Um, and I, I think, I think that's a good idea. But I also think throwing mm. in the Daleks or one of the famous, you know, enemies is just not a good idea for the first one. Like, let, you work up to that. And also, you want some anticipation. Like, you know, when is he going to meet the Daleks, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it occurred to me before I started even watching these episodes because uh, I knew they were called the Power of the Daleks. Okay. So I figured uh, they must be doing Daleks again. It occurred to me at first that it seemed like they were going back to the well pretty often with the Daleks. But mm-hmm. then uh, then it occurred to me that, like, well, 
you've got some shows where you just have the constant recurring enemy, you know, like Star Wars, you got the Empire is mm-hmm. always the bad guy, or you got Battlestar Galactica, you've got the Cylons, you know, and so on. So so it's um, it's legitimate, you know, but uh Yeah, they did there is a, another problem though, which is that they always want to have, like, at the end of the first episode of one of the Dalek stories, you know, the shocking Dalek revelation. But the problem is they always put the Daleks in the title because they want people yeah, to, yeah, to yeah. watch it. So it's not very yeah. shocking when the Daleks show up. <laughs> right. The other thing here, and, and we talked about this a little previously, and, and we saw it with the Tenth Planet. And and this is to, to some degree, but we're going to see it a lot more. And that is what's called Base Under Siege, right? A lot of the Trouton stories. Um, they show up at some military or scientific base that's, you know, essentially, and, and I thought about this as we go through here, maybe we point something out. This, there's a lot of um, similarities both to a couple of past Doctor Who stories, but also to, like, the thing, right? Because you have your base out in the middle oh, of nowhere. Oh, yeah. And you have the communications being cut off and, you have, you know, all that stuff, right? So, oh, yeah. the Like the, well, the radio room and the right. thing. I mean, we've got a scene that pretty much mirrors that uh, <laughs> yep. here, except... <laughs> Except here, we don't know who sabotages it at first. Right. So we're we're getting introduced to this style of story, and uh, I guess we'll see at the end what you think so far of the new Doctor. And although I will say it's not, I mean, it's a bit of a spoiler, but you know, there's there are some companions coming up who really that is the the Trouton crew, right? So what we're seeing here is not what he will be in terms of his character and his companions and interaction and everything. So, hmm. so I, I will say that uh, whatever your opinion of him, you know, it may change in the future because we're, we're not seeing the full thing yet. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, it would be sort of like if Barbara and Ian had come along later in Hartnell's series right and you want to say well Mm -hmm. the real crew is you know those four right susan and and barbara and ian um Mm -hmm. that sort of thing so okay uh with that i guess let's jump into episode one so we see the regeneration again and this is they didn't, uh, I, I, we've probably talked about this previously, they didn't call it a regeneration yet. That's a term that became much later, so. Yeah, they mentioned renewal in this yeah. first one. Yeah, they're kind of throwing around different words because they don't have a, a set one yet. After the regeneration, Patrick Troughton is unconscious on the floor. One thing I noticed is, at least going by the animation, he already had the clothes that he would wear, which at least in the modern times when they reanimate, I mean, they, their body changes, but not their clothes, right? Then they... Then they mm. have to find what clothes they want to wear and all that. But uh, in this case, <laughs> the regeneration included his clothing, so he's got his bow tie. He's got these checkered slacks. Yeah. And Ben and Polly are confused, and they debate whether it's the doctor. And overall, as we go through this, Polly tends to believe it is the doctor, and Ben is, you know, not sure and kind of insists he's not the doctor. And then the doctor wakes up and he experiences, especially for Dr. Who, these kind of bizarre auditory illusions. Like there's this whistle sound and drums and uh, it's actually pretty yeah. annoying. <laughs> At first it isn't clear that this is uh, in his head. You know? It yeah. sounds like it might be coming from the TARDIS or something. Right. And then he's seeing everything in triplicate. Uh, and then the sound becomes a heartbeat, which is 
kind of interesting a little bit. You know, it's it's cool. One thing I'll mention while I'm thinking about it is uh, surprising for reconstructions. The sound is really good in these episodes. You know, normally there's so often with the reconstructions, we're hearing something that somebody recorded off their TV while they're kid brothers you know running around the room or whatever and uh right and these sound really good i have no idea how they got uh, sort of high quality uh recordings so the doctor is kind of mumbling to himself that it's over and and then he sort of stumbles over to the tardis console and makes it take off and uh this is a nice little bit for people who've been watching the series which is the ring that hartnell was always wearing and that was i think a big part of the plot in the um the terror, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, the yeah, the <laughs> uh, reign of terror. Yeah, I so uh, why well, I wasn't thinking of that. Yes, it doesn't fit on his finger, so it falls off of his hand, and that's kind of a that's a nice little symbolic, also sort of changing of the doctor, right? Oh yeah, and he then goes over to a chest and pulls a mirror out, and I do, I assume this was in the original, but I don't know if it's just the animation because when he looks into the mirror first, he sees Hartnell's face. Uh, and then it resolves into his face. Uh, so I don't know if they yeah, added yeah. that or not. Because I'm not mm. sure how they would have done it. But <laughs> I do like this. They do make a couple of references in here to stories we've seen. So he pulls out a knife from the chest that is from the Crusades. And he talks about, oh, yeah, the Crusades and Saladin. And and, and that knife is actually going to play a role in the, uh, <laughs> in the story. And... Mm-hmm. Then he pulls out some kind of piece of metal that reminds him of extermination. So we don't really know what this uh, is. Yeah, he just says exterminate or extermination, something like that. And that's that just sort of hangs there. You don't know what he's talking about. But, of course, we know that's a, the Daleks' catchphrase. Yeah. So but he's apparently, he also seems to be kind of regaining his memories. Like there's, he says there's things he can't remember. And in fact, he... He says, the doctor kept a diary, didn't he? And Polly's like, yes. And I'm like, how would she know that he kept a diary? And it's also <laughs> the first time we've heard of it. But I love it because when he finds it, yeah. it's titled, a big title on it, you know, 500-year diary. <laughs> <laughs> and he also now finds a recorder. I don't know if piccolo is the right word also or if they're the same thing or not. I, I'm I'm not certain, but I think a piccolo might be narrower mm-hmm. uh, than a recorder. I could be wrong. Yeah, and he starts playing that, and he's going to play it a lot in this story. And uh, this this was actually Troughton's idea. He thought it would be a good way to differentiate him from Hartnell, and it certainly does that. <laughs> I think uh, Hartnell would have been it, the one yelling at him. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is idiosyncratic, <laughs> among other things. <laughs> now, he does mention a little thing in here when Ben and Polly are asking him about his renewal and he says it's part of the TARDIS and he couldn't survive without it, Which, I, by which I think he means, well, he could be saying he couldn't survive without the TARDIS or he could be saying he couldn't survive without the renewal. It wasn't clear to me. But, right. Um, but uh, he decides that they should all go for a stroll and he puts on this tall hat. I don't know if you know what this is. It, it's almost shaped like a dunce cap, but it's it's not a dunce cap. But it's a really I... tall sort of floppy cap i was wondering about that um it's i i could be wrong but i'm thinking that in the first series of black adder he might have had a hat similar to that yeah uh, i could be wrong but uh yeah it, it looks like it's something fairly old timey uh, <laughs> like real old timey <laughs> yeah don't know for sure though 
he goes outside the TARDIS. Uh, ben and Polly are still sort of f- trying to figure things out. And uh, outside the TARDIS, we see a pretty impressive, gaseous, rocky landscape. And uh, <laughs> I did see like a screenshot, but there's uh, no doubt this is one of those cases where they're able in the animation to make it look a lot better than it must have looked uh, in person. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny because he's on this alien planet with all these like bubbling, you know, little pools and stuff that must filled with dangerous stuff. And he's not paying attention at all. He's just got his nose in his diary as he walks along. <laughs> yeah, he almost steps into a big pool of this stuff, uh, which is mercury, I think is what it is. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah. And then there's a long sequence here where we just see him standing behind a rock and he's measuring it different ways. And then he's looking yeah, around. He's got a little. Taylor's measuring tape. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, this rock could come in handy. <laughs> well, I think what he's figuring out, because he ends up jumping over it, so I guess he was using the measuring tape to, to guess if he could jump over it, he, you know, just as a little joke. Like, <laughs> he doesn't need to. It's just a little thing. But the, the, the whole thing of him sort of standing around doing nothing for several seconds and stuff, this happens a few times, and I have a strong suspicion, especially having a little bit of personal experience with this. The problem is, the animators don't know what was happening on screen. Uh. They have no choice but to show something, and if they can't come up with an idea for people to do, they just have them stand there and look at each other. And <laughs> this happens a, uh, few, right. a few times, you know. And sometimes you'll hear like a couple sounds in the background, so you know something's going on, but you don't know what it is. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I read through uh, the script and Kersey's transcript site, and it notes uh, a few things in the in the episode where I took notes uh, that uh, what the script mentions or what the transcript mentions, the action is different from what happens in this. So they, there may be different resources out there that different people have right. access to. Right. And then while he's playing around with this rock, uh, we hear a man nearby yelling for you know trying to find anybody and the doctor approaches him and he just starts to say that he's the examiner from earth and then he gets shot (laughs) (laughs) somebody shoots him the doctor doesn't run away which would seem rational that he (laughs) he just uh sort of bends down and he he finds a button next to his body that says vulcan earth examiner and on the back the button says accord every access and has these instructions about how the examiner can go wherever they want now i got a question uh do you know what year star trek premiered wasn't that a little earlier in the 60s i think we had determined it was around i think it was around by now uh because the planet Vulcan, I think, was established, uh, or, you know, that there was a, in Star Trek, they, they probably called Spock part Vulcan. Or yeah, he was. On, I would guess. Uh, yeah. 66. And this was in 66. Hmm. So I don't think. Oh. Well, I so doubt it's, uh, it would have influenced because that was like September of 66. So I, I think that. Star Trek was just getting started up, so I don't know that they would have uh, been influenced okay. by it yet. But So this was one of those uh, Charles Fort things where steam engines when it's steam engine time. Yeah. And, you know, Vulcan is the, does have the mythological stuff to it, so uh, maybe. Oh, may sure. Have been a coincidence. Hephaestus and all that. 
now, so he so he finds this button and takes it that and you know gives this examiner lots of access, so we can kind of guess what's going to happen with that. But the next sequence, and I, I did have a couple in here. I found the animation, direction, costuming confusing, and I literally had to rewatch it several times to try and figure out who was who and what was going on because mm. the um, the non Tardis people we see are all wearing these um, outfits that look the same. And the faces look kind of the same. And it's actually, you know, there are plot reasons to know who's who because we see, at least in profile, the person who shot this guy once. Uh, well, we'll see, you see here. But anyway, it was hard for me to figure out who was who and, and it was confusing. And I don't know, what did you yeah. think of the animation overall? Well, I thought it was fine, but. You know, at this point, I didn't really care much. So, <laughs> I mean, I just uh, figured if it's important, they'll explain it later. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a good guess. So, what happens is while the doctor is, you know, looking over this guy who got shot, the gunman sneaks up behind him and is about to do something, but he gets scared off when Ben calls for the doctor. And Ben and Polly are near a pool of the mercury, you know, bubbling mercury, and Polly succumbs to the fumes. But they don't actually, you know, connect with the doctor. So the guy comes back and he pistol whips the doctor on the back of the head. And he then puts what turns out to be a large, it didn't look like a button to me, but it's a large button from one of their uniforms. Uh, he puts it into the doctor's hand and then drags off the body of the examiner. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny looking. It's it's like this sort of asymmetrical, it, it's like a big oval with some weird lines on yeah it. i didn't it know it was look a like a looks... jacket button or something yeah like it looks more like something you'd wear around your neck or something right but uh, right uh, so this is where things were confusing to me because after stashing the body the gunman returns and i thought because their costumes are the same and their faces are similar i thought that he was quinn who has found the doctor. He's the deputy governor, as we'll discover, and he's found the doctor unconscious. But but Quinn was not the gunman, so, you know, <laughs> it was, like mm -hmm. I said, it was just confusing. But anyway, so Quinn, the deputy governor, has, has found the doctor unconscious, and another person joins him, and, you know, he says, oh, these people never uh, pay attention to the filters we send them to, you know, protect them from the fumes, so... Of course, they're assuming that the doctor is the examiner because he's got that button. So they find Ben and Polly. They collect the crew. And Quinn says he saw their spaceship overshoot the destination, which is apparently common. If they just have communicated with them and said they were coming, they could have helped them. And, of course, he's not talking about the TARDIS. He's talking about the actual examiner's spaceship. Uh, right, because the examiner had been there when the TARDIS got there. Yeah. And then Quinn and someone else are wondering why Earth sent the examiner two years early. So this is going to be a big plot point <laughs> as we go forward here. Yeah. And one of them just says to like Ben, you know, I suppose you Earth people can't wait to examine Lesterson's space capsules. So mm -hmm. I have a lot of notes in this first episode because there's just a lot of plot going on in this story. And so we, we yeah. introduced to it here. And then we get a shot, uh, it is animation, but it was almost certainly originally a model shot of the base. You know, I would have uh, liked to have seen how good they did on the model. Oh, uh, sure. But the animation looks fine for that. Uh, and inside the base, 
Westerson, who turns out is a scientist, and his assistant, a woman named Janley, are discussing the newcomers. And Lesterson assumes that the examiner is here to stop his experiments with his capsule that he's found. Um, but he believes he can't be stopped and the governor will support him. So he's already got issues with the examiner slash doctor. He hasn't even met him yet. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, a little detail just struck me as fun uh, that I noticed while re- re-watching the second episode tonight is that Lesterson is wearing these glasses that they're Eldon Tyrell glasses from Blade <laughs> Runner. They're these yeah. octagonal frames. They're kind of cool. So <laughs> very nice. Yeah, actually, I mean, you know, could could be the same character in some ways. Uh, <laughs> so his assistant, Jan Lee, starts pressuring Lesterson to come to a meeting tonight. And it turns out that she's part of some rebel group and she wants to recruit him. And he... You know, probably no doubt he's supposed to report her or something, but he just puts up with it. But he makes it clear, like, he lets them meet in one of his rooms occasionally, but he doesn't want anything to do with them. And, you know, he's he's busy being a scientist and he doesn't want to get involved. And she points out, if we ran things, you'd have better facilities, more money. You know, you really should come to our meeting. He's just not going to do it. And what he really cares about is this special metal that he found from the capsule. And it turns out this capsule had been in the swamp for like 200 years when they found it. And he's amazed because this piece of metal that came off of it is in perfect shape, even though it's been, you know, around corrosive gases and chemicals for 200 years. So he thinks this is a real breakthrough material that they could make use of. And Jan Lee, and I, I think she doesn't believe this. I think she's sowing doubt. Uh, and it's kind of obvious looking, you know, looking at her even with the animation. She puts a thought in his head by saying she thinks the governor sent for the examiner early so that he could shut down Lesterson's work. So she's wanting to, you know, mess things up a bit. <laughs> yeah. And she tells him he really should join the group because he might need them one day. And we'd see the TARDIS crew alone in a room, and the doctor is just playing his recorder and really annoying Ben. <laughs> uh, well, Ben and... I can't blame Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ben and Polly realize the doctor has been mistaken for the examiner, and they wonder what's going on. And the doctor just refuses to talk and, and just plays. And actually, as you'll find over time, a lot of times when he's playing the recorder, he actually has a reason for doing so often. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well... Yeah, that's well, it's it's an explanation. I don't know if it's an excuse, but it's an explanation. <laughs> right. And Ben is kind of angry that the doctor isn't being straightforward about whether he actually is the doctor. You know, he's just kind of playing little word games and stuff when when he's asked. Yeah, he's he's very uh, uncommunicative uh, early on in the these episodes, at least. And I've only watched the first three of the six, so I don't know what's going to happen in. The, in the next three, but uh, but at least in this initial episode, he's really uh, he's really frustratingly enigmatic at first. Um, he opens up a little more as the episodes proceed, but yeah. uh, but, but from the outset, he's uh, kind of annoying. <laughs> so the colony governor arrives along with a man named Bragan, who was one of the men in the swamp, but now he's got regular clothes on, so it's a little easier to identify him and uh, the governor quizzes the doctor about why he's there Uh, he doesn't know why he came he thinks someone 
leaked information about the local rebel groups that they're dealing with. And it doesn't quite make sense in the animation, but the doctor looks at Braggin and he whispers, he's the one. And hmm. he's a little, uh, you know, staring at him. And I turn, didn't catch that uh, in the first. Yeah, one of the things I, I think is tough with the animation is that one of the things he's doing in this story, he doesn't do it so much later on, but in this story, he does a lot of these sort of whispering to himself, you know, under his breath little things. And they can be mm-hmm. clever little one-liners or whatever. And it's just, it's a little hard because you're not act- the reason you could see that if it was live action is that you can see the person's face and you can see what he's saying. In the animation, yeah, you can't quite, so, you know. Right. It turns out the governor has refused to allow Lesterson to open the capsule because he's worried there might be bacteria in it or something. Which is not a bad, uh, not bad reasoning. Right. I mean, uh, you know, and we mentioned the thing earlier, and uh, certainly they shouldn't have opened that spaceship that was under the ice. Well, and the other thing that really reminded me of having this capsule that you're trying to get into and ends up having multiple parts to it and everything. Do you recall a story we covered uh, where they had the capsule and getting into it and the aliens and... Oh, Quatermass in the pit. Yeah, yeah, there's some similarity here to that, yeah. Oh, yeah. So after the governor and Bregan leave, Ben and Polly actually, you know, called the doctor on the fact that he was staring at Bregan and the doctor says he wanted to see Bregan's reactions to see how he'd react to the governor's statements. So he's already on to something here. But at this point, I mean, there's so much going on and we're being interviewed. We don't really know what's all going on because they're just throwing this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, it's coming from every direction so far. Yeah. So elsewhere, and this is one of those, because they are in this base, it's just like every time we talk about a new scene, it's just like, okay, there's some room somewhere and there's two people or three people <laughs> on there talking about something. So uh, elsewhere, Quinn complains to Bragg and that he's not allowed to contact the governor without a pass. And Quinn is, you know, the deputy governor, so he feels like he should be able to talk to the governor. And it, uh, Bragan says, nope, that's the rule. Everybody, you know, you can't talk to him without a pass. You can't talk to him with the doors closed, et cetera. And it seems pretty obvious that Bragan is sort of shielding the governor from, from some things. Then we see the doctor examining the capsule with the governor and a large group behind them watching. So I think, because uh, we only usually see two or three people. There's This is like everybody in the base is watching. And... The doctor sees the piece of metal that Lesterson was playing with earlier, and he immediately wants to know where they got it. And Lesterson says it fell off the capsule and that it could revolutionize space travel, which is why he must be allowed to open the capsule to see what marvels might be inside. Um, Mm -hmm. And the the doctor, as the examiner, actually allows him to do so. So Lesterson pulls out some laser that he has determined might open the door. And, uh, and it does, and inside is a large empty bay, and that's where I was really thinking Quatermass, <laughs> right? Because when they first opened oh, it, yeah. they had that, and then they get to the interior part. And uh, they can't, you know, right now they can't get into the interior parts. So that's going to take more work. So the TARDIS crew leaves, and the governor, meanwhile, accuses Lesterson of sending for the examiner. Basically, everybody's accusing everybody else of having sent for the examiner. Uh, yeah. But Lesterson denies it. And it's, it's obviously not him because his concern is he doesn't want his experiment shut down. So he doesn't have any reason to bring some unknown person in and who could shut down his experiments, right? So. <laughs> Later that night, Ben and Polly see the doctor seemingly almost sleepwalking, at least in the animation. And he's heading toward the, the lab and the capsule and they follow him. 
And he's brought that piece of metal that he found in his chest, the one that reminded him of extermination. Uh, and he's holding the, the piece of metal that Lesterson found. And, they're, you know, as he'll say, these are the same pieces of metal. So that's, he knows. Yeah, they're like mirror images of each other. Mm-hmm. And they're both just basically, at least in the animation, they're just these basically L-shaped pieces of angle iron, basically. Yeah, there's so nothing they're, special they're about not, them. They're not yeah. glowing. They're not, yeah, they're, we can't see what's so special about them, but. Yeah. Well, it is interesting that uh, they worked to make sure that everything he pulled out of that chest in the beginning becomes part of the plot, right? So, uh, <laughs> so I'm not sure if this is necessary to open things, but he uses one of the pieces of metal to push a button inside the capsule, and that opens the interior door. And they enter to find Gasp Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> Except uh, these Daleks have been here for 200 years. There's two Daleks, and they're covered in cobwebs, right, and clearly kind of decommissioned. Yeah. Now, we know, though, that the Daleks are biological yeah. beings, so, uh, of course, they can't be alive now. Yeah, although along those lines, we then see a what presumably is a Dalek body. You know, we've seen that once or twice before, sort of skitter off under uh, under a doorway or under a wall or something. So, um, freaks out Ben and Polly and yeah, the animation, it looks like, um, it's kind of like a face hugger uh, from (laughs) the alien movies. You know, it's got these long legs up front, but then it's got these little tentacles coming out of the rear end of it. (laughs) Uh, and it's a, it's a little creepy and they just get a glimpse of it before it ducks under a door. Yep. And now the crew realizes that there was also a third Dalek here, but it is missing. And that's when they see the the squishy Dalek body skitter away. Yeah, there's like a dark spot in the dust where the the robot body was covering covering the floor. Yep. And it's the end of the episode. Well, episode two starts off with a recap of the ending of the last episode. With uh, we see the Daleks with the with the cobwebs on them again. So apparently, wherever they brought their spaceship from, it had spiders there <laughs> or something spider-like. Um, and we see again the little face hugger-like thing scuttling, which is uh, we presume one of the actual live Daleks. Uh, it isn't explained yet. Um, how it's alive after 200 years locked up in a capsule, but, uh, but it is alive. And the doctor sends, uh, sends Ben out of the capsule back into the main laboratory to grab a light. And when he gets out there, he doesn't notice this, but there's somebody lurking in the shadows. And I don't think we really know who this is yet, but it's Resno, who is the research assistant of Lesterson, the, the head scientist. Ben gets back inside the capsule and he confirms, yeah, you were right. There were three Daleks. Uh, you know, now there's only two. Mm. And they start discussing uh, what what they know. And Polly points out that, that uh, Lesterson hadn't opened the capsule. So, so the third Dalek, he couldn't have taken it. Mm-hmm. But then Ben counters by saying, no, he said he hadn't opened it. 
<laughs> and the doctor praises him for that. For well, also, uh, he's kind of a jerk, though, because when he says, you know, he said he had an open it, he then he follows it up with, let's get our facts straight. It's like, okay, <laughs> great. <you know. laughs> yeah. So the doctor's sort of talking to himself uh, and what he knows so far. And uh, he says, Lesterson's a fanatic, uh, meaning fanatic about the scientific research, about finding the secrets of the capsule and all that. Uh, the governor's jealous of his own position, he says. You know, the governor wants to keep being the governor. But then he says, talking to himself, he says, what does that suggest to you? Don't know. Haven't thought about it. So a little, uh, little quirky there, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit like Gollum talking to himself, right? Where he's answering his <laughs> yeah. own questions. <laughs> yeah. But then he goes on to observe that above all these, uh, internecine problems in the colony, there's, uh, now they have one Dalek unaccounted for, mm. uh, and one Dalek, he says, is all that is needed to wipe out this entire colony. <laughs> So this really is the thing right now. <laughs> There's a out there that wipe them all out. <laughs> so next we go to the guest quarters where uh, where our guys are uh, should be settled in, but but they're not there at the moment. And Quinn, uh, he's a blonde-haired guy. Uh, that's sort of his distinguishing feature in the animation. <laughs> and he's looking for the examiner. He's asking around for him or, you know, asking the empty room examiner. And uh, Bregan comes in, who is the sort of sinister guy who uh, seems to be curating access to the governor somehow. And uh, he says, I was expecting to find the examiner here, not you, Quinn. And then he scolds Quinn because the governor had specifically said that Quinn is not to contact the examiner. So they have a little bit of a quarrel. Now, in the animation, we just see Quinn give Bregan a shove. Uh, it says in that script from Chrissy's transcript site, it says that he actually knocks him to the floor. Mm -hmm. In either case, Bregan calls for a guard. Uh, and we assume that, well, I mean, if, if, if Quinn is shoving him around, that's, that's cause to do something, but... But no, the Bregan just wants the guard uh, to look for the examiner. He must be found immediately, he <laughs> says. Doctor Who must be, what was it? Uh, Doctor Who is required, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was the supercomputer. Yeah, that was the war machines, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so back in the laboratory, uh, the doctor and his companions are still there, and... Uh, uh, ben says, of course, the real doctor was always going on about the Daleks. The doctor says, real doctor? Oh, you mean the real doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and Polly asks, if the Daleks are that dangerous, what are we going to do about it? And the doctor says he's going to save his breath. Would Lesterson listen? And as soon as he says that, he goes, Lesterson, listen. Lesterson, listen. Lesterson, listen. He says it exercises the tongue and she should try it. <laughs> And she does, and soon Polly and Doctor are just standing there going, Lesterson, listen, Lesterson, listen. <laughs> yes, again, the uh, the sort of thing Hartnell would, uh, would never have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lesterson and his assistant, Resno, uh, enter, 
Resno is the guy who was lurking in the shadows just a few minutes ago, so presumably Resno went and snitched on him. And uh, the doctor, Lesterson's trying to give the doctor some grief about being in his laboratory. The doctor says, read this aloud, and he's indicating the big button on his chest that says he's the Earth Examiner. Lesterson says, accord every access. And the doctor says, it doesn't say except your laboratory anywhere, does it? <laughs> That's a pretty good point. It's an interesting system, though, where if you just have a button that, you know, anybody could print up, you know, you can just sit yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. It's not no, like I it's guess... some special badge or, or something like that. Uh... Yeah, we, we don't have any indication that there's like some uh, some scanner that detects an RFID tag in it or anything like that. This is it's actually just... a plot. Do you remember uh, E.E. E. Doc Smith? I've heard the name. He was an early science fiction writer, very influential on Heinlein. And he did a series called The Lensman and Skylark. And Lensman. Well, oh, I've heard of The Lensman. Yeah. I, I think The Lens, in fact, there refers to the fact that a big issue they have um, as they're on all these planets and they've got different things going on is you need to be able to tell if essentially a law enforcement person actually is a law enforcement person. So these lens things are these like impossible to duplicate badges, essentially. Um, that prove hmm. that they're a lensman. So it's just kind of funny to, you know, think about uh, uh, that and and this story having, you know, you'd just be able to come in with a, with a button. But I guess they hadn't, no, they hadn't I, quite got there uh, yet. Well, you know, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a button with a fancy hologram on it. Yeah. As always indicate uh, authenticity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the uh, the doctor asks Polly and Ben, what did you think when you came into the capsule and first saw the Daleks? Uh, and they confirm, both of them confirm that they were as astonished and amazed. And the doctor says to Lesterson, you didn't even give them a glance. Why? Because you'd been in here and seen them. A little bit of clever uh, observation on mm -hmm. his part. He goes on to accuse Lesterson of having taken the third Dalek and mm. having hidden it. Uh, and Lesterson says, what nonsense. <laughs> but, uh, but he's a little bit of a weasel in some ways, as we'll find out. Lesterson thinks that these, these Dalek bodies are, you know, Dalek uh, exoskeletons, whatever you call them. They're uh, lumps of metal, he says, are quite inactive. Ben starts to contradict him, but the doctor uh, sounds a blast on his recorder, just a <laughs> one sharp note. And then uh, he holds a finger up to his lips, sort of gives Ben the, the high sign. The doctor insists to Lesterson, he says, I want them broken up or melted down. Up or down, I don't <laughs> care which, but destroyed. <laughs> I thought that was cute. I'm not sure that Ben... Could have actually said that though, and that I'm, uh, unless I'm missing something, I don't think Ben has ever encountered a Dalek. So he hasn't encountered them, but but he did see that scuttling little ugly thing just uh, for yeah, a that moment. Could be, but also, yeah. also he had uh, heard the Doctor, the previous incarnation of the Doctor, talking about them because he mentioned that uh, not right. too long ago. But I think, you're, I think he's referring to the thing they saw, and I didn't, uh, I'd forgotten about that, yeah. Mm, okay. But either way, uh, the doctor shuts him up before he can <laughs> give away too much. The doctor's playing his cards close to his best for now. 
Lesterson, the doctor, they continue to dispute, and Lesterson tells him he's exceeding his authority, and the doctor decides that he'd better just ask the governor about all that. So uh, the doctor and his companions go, Bregan goes, and then Resno goes. Uh, so Lesterson's all alone in his precious laboratory, uh, and then he goes into that capsule, and there's a hidden room in there where he's stashed the third Dalek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and he talks to it. Uh, he says, there must be some way to bring you back to life, and I am going to find it. <laughs> now, at this point, as far as we know, at least from the first three episodes, at this point, he doesn't believe it is actually alive. He just thinks it's a machine that can be reactivated. Yeah. Uh, and he wants to find out how to do that. So back in the guest room, Bregan comes in, and the doctor is delighted to see that he's brought a nice fruit plate with him. <laughs> and uh, Bregan tells him, you know, you might want to be a little discreet with your investigations. We're not having a very good time in the colony. He goes on to explain uh, minor acts of sabotage, rebel cliques, secret newspapers, nothing important, you understand. <laughs> I don't know, I would, I would accord some importance to those myself, but uh, yeah, maybe Bregan's just a really laid-back guy. Well, I think what he says next, we, we'll learn, you know, as we find out more about Bregan, is the important part. Is he says, you know, all this stuff's going on, it's not important, but it keeps the governor busy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Bregan may may have uh, an interesting kind of relationship with the governor that the governor doesn't know everything about. So, <laughs> so he um, he takes off. Uh, Polly and Ben and the doctor are alone, and uh, uh, after a little discussion, Ben just comes out and and tells the doctor he he doesn't believe that this is the doctor that we all came to know and love. He, he uh, says, "You, my old China." Are an out-and-out phony. And in a moment, he'll he'll actually explain that that's a cockney rhyming slang because China's a plate and plate rhymes with mate and mate means friend and all that. <laughs> so he's saying, you and my old friend are an out-and-out phony. But the doctor responds, China, yes, I went there once, I believe, met Marco Polo. <laughs> right, and then so, he like, starts paging through his diary. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and as as these episodes go on, at least these first three episodes, it's not clear how much of the stuff that starts he starts to seem to remember. Some of that has come from the diary, and some of it he's. It seems like he might actually be remembering some things. Like he he didn't forget. Well, I can't say he didn't forget to how to speak English because. Uh, uh, we don't know that the TARDIS isn't just translating everything <laughs> for them automatically. That's true. But I, I get the impression that he's starting to remember at least some of his previous incarnation. Mm-hmm. Um, but also a lot of it he's cribbing from the diary, I think. <laughs> and Polly, uh, at this point, you know, after Ben calls Dr. Afoni, Polly reassures him. She says, I know who you are. And now the doctor picks up a piece of fruit from the bowl. Uh, in the animation, it looks kind of like a grapefruit. And he listens to it for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> then he, uh, he puts it down and cuts it in half and very precisely cuts it so that when it opens up, we can clearly see there's a little electronic bug in there. 
And did you notice, uh, at least in the animation, I think the script here gets it wrong, but in the animation, did you notice what knife he used to cut it? I th- was it that curved Crusades yeah, knife yeah, was that the one he, he pulled out, out of the, the chest? chest yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like you said earlier, they, they everything that he pulled out of the chest, they, they tried to find a use for it. <laughs> <laughs> so he crushes the bug, and then Ben starts discussing... Uh, or they all start discussing uh, what's going on in the colony, who might have shot the examiner, uh, who might have uh, summoned the examiner. And uh, and Ben points out that Lesterson loves this capsule. Uh, he doesn't want anybody interfering with that. So he wouldn't want the examiner to come two years early. And he says governors are all the same. He wouldn't ask for help. If he sent the word, it would look as if he couldn't do the job properly. So they're they're trying to eliminate people who who might have be the troublemakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ben's got Ben's got some good takes on it actually. Finally, he just wants to go back to the TARDIS. He says, "I've had enough of this dump." But uh, Polly and Ben are, remember that little squiggly uh, skittering thing that they saw on the floor, and Ben says, "I can't explain that." And the doctor says, I can, and that's why we have to stay. <laughs> so in Lesterton's laboratory, Janley, the woman who we know to be uh, associated with the rebels, uh, and Resno, Lesterton's assistant, are uh, squabbling a little bit. First, she uh, criticizes Resno for having no curiosity, which is a, not a great trait in a research assistant. Resno counters with... Uh, the governor knows all about you rebels. He'll smash the lot of you <laughs> when he's ready. And Lester just is impatient with both of them. And he says, kindly keep your politics out of it. Then, and it occurs to me, nearly everyone who seems to be part of the colony seems to dislike or just outright hate each other here. <laughs> and uh, I'm, it, it, it strikes me that maybe the colony is a big, Vault Tech experiment. <laughs> uh, if you've, I don't know if you've, have you ever played a Fallout game? Yes, I have. No, uh, oh, okay. So you know, Vault Tech uh, mm-hmm. does stuff like this, sets up uh, bad situations, and sees what people do. <laughs> well, and I think some of the implication too is that uh, this rebel situation, as we'll see, was sort of created to mess things up. And I, you know, I think that a lot of work has been done to get people to not trust each other and and such. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's all part of the the master plan (laughs) that uh, possibly one single person is behind, (laughs) but we wouldn't know anything about that just yet. Back in the guest room, the doctor is saying, talking about the Daleks, and he says, I know the misery they cause, the destruction, but there's something else more terrible, something I can only half remember. And I'm not sure if in the first three episodes we find out what that is. That could turn out in the end it's like he's remembering man's inhumanity to man or something like that. But uh, uh, I'm, I, I get the feeling there maybe end up being something more specific that were, mm-hmm. is yet to be revealed. So Bregan comes into the room. He talks with the doctor a bit, and the doctor uh, wants to go see the governor, but it's too late at night. The governor's already gone Betty by, and once the governor has closed his door for the night, not even the earth examiner can go in there. So the doctor's not happy about it. Bregan leaves. 
And he says to Ben and Polly, he says, I shall radio, or if Governor or not, Hansel will have to listen to them. <laughs> but then he gets the impression that there might have been some noise or something out in the hall. There, He goes to look, but there isn't anybody out there. But someone might have been listening, we get the impression anyway. Mm. And then this part, it might be just the nature of the animation, but it, it was a little ambiguous to me. Like, he takes the door latch off the inside of the door and the animation like the outside has a knob on it and the inside has more like a lever that you pull down and he he pulls that out of the door and and tucks it away so that we can see the little square rod coming out of the doorknob on the other side of the door and ben and polly find this funny for some reason and i'm, I'm not sure what exactly they find funny about it or what he hopes to accomplish, because basically, I'm thinking without that lever to latch onto, the doorknob won't work from the outside, and Ben and Polly won't be able to operate it from the inside. Though I, I could yeah, be I, wrong about. It. I also found this confusing. I actually thought he was like he had done something, and then he was trying to stick the doorknob back onto it, and it fell off. And it, it it's just confusing. And and what they were laughing at, I have no idea. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little uh, it's a little ambiguous, but ultimately we'll find out that he he did manage to get out of the room anyway. So <laughs> that'll advance the plot for us. Uh, in Lesterton's laboratory, meanwhile, they're doing some experiments. He's got uh, Janley, the rebel lady, there, and he's got his assistant Resno. They've got some cables hooked up to the Dalek uh, body. One one the one. The third one, the one that he had stashed away for safekeeping. They've got some cables hooked up to it, and they're in experimenting with, with different power levels. Uh, so he tells Jan Lee to crank it up to 3.24. I, th I think actually Resno's operating the dials, but she's, I don't know, being stenographer or something. <laughs> anyway, they crank up the power, and... The Daleks' plunger starts rising. And uh, Lesterson uh, has her make a note of this. He says, number one attachment with sucker stick responding. <laughs> so first we find out that's called a sucker stick, the plunger <laughs> attachment. And uh, I think there's a bookstore near me that sells st sucker sticks, actually. But that's uh, another detail entirely. <laughs> Lesterson is speculating about the nature of this machine. And he says, there may even be a simplified brain, positronic, I shouldn't wonder. And I looked that up, and that positronic, it turns out that's a term coined by Isaac Asimov for his science fiction stories, you know, referring to a robot brain. And this was shortly after the discovery of the positron particle, mm -hmm. So he was using that as sort of, uh, you know, some hand-waving, scientific-sounding stuff, you know. Oh, positronic mm. brain, very, uh, very uh, advanced. Um, but apparently, uh, from the Wikipedia article, there are various other cultural phenomena that have also sort of adopted that positronic terminology for their own purposes. Yeah. Well, and, and I think science fiction kind of did too. It's sort of like tractor beam, right? Once one, that became yeah. sort of a standard in science fiction uh, and 
in different series and everything is, yeah. So he thinks maybe this machine, what he thinks is just a machine, uh, may have a simplified brain. And Resno, uh, after they do some more experimenting and powering up and so forth, the Dalek's eye, eye stick, uh, as Resno calls it, uh, it raises up and stares right at him, and it keeps staring. And and he's he's concerned. Lesterson makes makes fun of him for it because uh, it's obviously not staring at him. That's ridiculous. <laughs> because we're you know, seeing but, the uh, the Dalek's eye view, right? Uh, so we yeah, we actually get to see Resno's frightened face through the Dalek's eye stick. <laughs> So he's got the right of it, but Lesterson doesn't know that yet. In the radio room, Quinn is in there. He He's not visible at first, but uh, the doctor has entered, and uh, Quinn's kind of in shadow. But finally, he reveals himself, and he says, Examiner, thank goodness it's you. I've been trying to talk to you ever since you got here. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as he says that, Bregan comes in once again. He's always... <laughs> Always seems to be Johnny on the spot here. One unusual thing about Quinn is that uh, he's just standing there holding this pair of what is very clearly wire cutters. They're, you know, they've got the little jaws. That I mean, mm -hmm. if you've ever used wire cutters, that's very much what these are. He says he just happened, you know, he walked in and picked them up. I guess he, he's a neat freak or something, I guess. <laughs> The doctor points out that the cables to the radio have been cut, uh, and that's not a good thing. And Quinn observes, well, then we're cut off from Earth as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and Bregan says the only people that would want to do that are the rebels. <laughs> uh, and Quinn, standing there with the wire cutters, uh, he, he looks a bit suspicious. And the doctor takes this opportunity to show Bregan the thing that he collected that the assassin, or or someone, maybe not the assassin, but I, I think it was the assassin, someone actually pressed that into, I don't know if it was his hand or the dead examiner's hand, um, but, but it, the doctor says this is something he collected, and it, it is that button we were talking about earlier that doesn't well, it was, Yeah, it was, like it was put into the doctor's hand because then the examiner was dragged off and the doctor hasn't seen his body or anything, so... Yeah, it was, it was okay. put in. I was thinking it was the doctor's hand. Uh, and Bregan says to Quinn, this button belongs to you, doesn't it? Quinn fesses up. And Bregan uh, points out additionally that he's carrying wire cutters uh, right in the same room with a bunch of wires that have very recently been cut. <laughs> uh, so putting all those things together, uh, Bregan decides that he has no option but to detain... Quinn, uh, he, he's got to uh, keep him from running about until, until they can figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. In Lesterson, Lesterson's laboratory, they're still doing some experiments on the Dalek. The Dalek, they, they power it up again. The, uh, the eye stick looks at Resno again. Uh, and Resno is more worried than ever. He says, it's watching me, Lesterson, weighing me up. <laughs> And suddenly, as Resno's looking at the camera, and in the animation, this camera is kind of sinister looking. It could very well be read by a paranoid Dalek as a uh, as an alien weapon. 
Um, it's got three lenses on it and all kinds of fancy stuff. Uh, so the as Rizno is filming the Dalek, the Dalek raises his gun, uh, which uh, I believe Lesterson referred to earlier as the stubby arm that he couldn't figure out a purpose for. And we get the animated equivalent of that uh, negative photography that always <laughs> accompanies their their guns. And Rizno uh, falls down inert. And Janley checks him out and says, it's all right, he isn't dead, but uh, keep that in mind because uh, there's more to come on that subject. And then Lesterson says, we got to get him to the hospital. Back in the guest room, Ben and Polly are talking about uh, Quinn, and uh, they have very different opinions of him. Ben thinks he had a perfectly understandable motive uh, for trying to... uh, screw things up because Quinn's the deputy governor and maybe he wants to be governor. But Polly, Polly just thinks Quinn's all right. She says, look, there are some people you know are all right. You just know by looking at them, which a pretty optimistic view, but uh, she could be right. We'll find out Mm -hmm. in a while, I guess. (laughs) So back in the laboratory, uh, apparently some time has passed because Lesterson asks, uh, uh, well, first he mentions that he's removed that gun arm. They they shut off the Dalek again, took the gun off. So he's presumably more harmless now. And uh, he asks Janley about Rizno, if she's been to see him today. And she says, uh, he's had medical attention. He's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good, good for Rizno. It's good to hear it. And then in the governor's office, the doctor and his companions come in, and uh, Quinn is also brought in. The governor says about these Daleks that you say they could be a motive for destroying our communications. But their little conversation is interrupted uh, by Lesterson's arrival, and the governor chides him a bit. You know, this is a special inquiry, and you know, leave us alone, get out. But Lesterson says, Governor, you've got to see this. Uh, that's not what he says, but that's basically what it boils <laughs> down to. He says he's got an experiment which could revolutionize the whole colony. And that's when it happens. The Dalek rolls in under its own <laughs> power. Nobody's pushing it or nothing. It's just fully powered up and operational. And uh, it looks around a bit. And it seems to have a particular interest in the doctor. And Ben says it recognized the doctor. <laughs> um, and and a, a moment later, the doctor uh, briefly briefly confirms that. He says, it, it recognized me. And Lesterton, though, he, he seems to not accord any uh, importance to that, if he even heard it. Um, but he's he's boasting about how he's merely given it electrical power, but it's capable of storing it. Mm-hmm. And he starts to uh, give it instructions. He orders it to turn around, and it does a full 360-degree spin. He orders it to move a chair, and it starts pushing the chair until he tells it to stop. And he, he says uh, this could really be a great thing for... For the colony, it's it's uh, it's free labor, you know, for mining, processing, dozens of labor jobs, he says. May even supply the end to all this colony's problems. 
And the doctor says, yes, it will end the colony's problem because it will end the colony. <laughs> I couldn't avoid thinking they're basically uh, saying that it's going to be a, an Amazon uh, warehouse employee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do mention the processing and the packaging that it could help with. Yeah, and that's very, uh, uh, yeah, very close to the mark there. <laughs> and when the doctor says, because it will end the colony... Uh, the Dalek says, I am your servant. <laughs> and it's very and, uh, creepy the way it does the last syllable of servant. Uh, the, there's, you know. Yeah, it goes low and then it goes a little higher than the rest of the sentence. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it impresses Lesterson, uh, while well, he's, he's amazed. He says it spoke. <laughs> uh, he wasn't expecting that. The doctor, the doctor gives a little speech here, and as he gives his speech, the Dalek is trying to speak above him by repeating that, I am your servant. <laughs> but what the doctor says is it can do many things, Lesterson, but the thing it does most efficiently is exterminate human beings. <laughs> it destroys them without mercy, without conscience. It destroys them utterly, completely. It destroys them. All the while, the Dalek's going, I am your servant. <laughs> I am your servant. And that's the cliffhanger that ends the episode. Mm -hmm. It's funny because there will be, at least in the modern series, I know it occurred. I don't recall if it's in the classic series anywhere. This basically gets repeated every once in a while where the Daleks pop up, you know, to humans who don't know about them and, and pretend that they are <laughs> helping out. Yeah. Right. And this Dalek has an especially good reason to do so because its gun has been removed. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's effectively harmless at the moment. Yeah. And there's at least one scene where you know that it instinctually tries to use its gun and then realizes it's not there and falls back to <laughs> the servant <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yep. Episode three begins. We get the whole I am your servant over and over. And, uh, well, uh, other stuff is going on. The doctor leans over to the Dalek and tells it that he will defeat it. And this, he's not like yelling this or anything. He's, he's making a very personal threat to the Dalek, you know? <laughs> so Lesterson's making his points about, about, you know, efficiency and everything. And he's doing it more from the point of view of, oh, the colony could get all this stuff done and be more productive. But the governor realizes when he talks about, I think it's mining, that, oh, they could benefit from that on earth and then and they do this well in the animation because you just see in his face once he realizes that earth could benefit from this that that means that he's going to get the glory right. for introducing this so so he's now you know having been earlier conservative right he wouldn't let lesterson get into the capsule and all that but now he's all gung-ho and tells lesterson he can uh go ahead and do what he wants right and uh, the doctor tells them that they're not going to listen to him. They'll have to listen to Earth. And he'll contact them as soon as radio communications are restored. So I wonder uh, why radio communications were cut off then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then he decides to try and play a trick on the Dalek. He goes to the Dalek and says, well, if you're my servant, then I want you to demobilize yourself. And it sort of hesitates for a bit, I think, you know, trying to figure out what to do. Um, mm. but then it powers down or seems to power down 
and the doctor leaves the room. And as soon as the doctor leaves the room, it powers right back up. And hmm. Lesterson is confused by this. And he's like, wait, you're a servant. You know, you were given an order. Why did you stop obeying? And <laughs> in classic movie robot, you know, uh, logic, uh, it says, well, the doctor's order was wrong because I can't serve humans if I'm demobilized. <laughs> Uh, and then it says, you know, to butter him up, uh, but you, you gave me power in life. So your orders are right and can be followed. So <laughs> Lesterson seems fine with this and doesn't seem to. He's, think it through. he's actually impressed. He's like, oh, I can use logic. Yeah. Daleks can use that when it suits him. Yep. <laughs> in the governor's office, Bregan is accusing Quinn of being a rebel. And Quinn points out, wait, I'm the person who brought up the whole rebel thing and pointed it out to everyone and people wouldn't listen to me. And, and Bregan says, that was just part of your plan, you know, to avoid suspicion. <laughs> so they go through the evidence and, you know, you have a tough time defending himself. You know, his button was at the attack on the examiner. And now Quinn reveals something. He says he had no reason to attack the examiner as dun dun. He's the one who called for him. So finally, <laughs> finally we know who called for the examiner. And he says, so of course I also wouldn't sabotage the communications. And he explains that he called for the examiner because the rebel situation wasn't being taken seriously. And Bregan says Quinn did all this to get the governor in trouble so he could replace him. Because of course he's the deputy governor. Mm -hmm. And the governor totally buys this and sends Quinn out and then promotes Bregan to be the new deputy governor. <laughs> That's going to fix things. Yeah. And uh, it's worth, if there was any doubt remaining in the viewer's mind, which uh, in my mind I was about 95% sure I knew what was going on at this point. When the governor says this, Bregan keeps a poker face, but you see this in the animation. Uh, they do it pretty well, I think. That You see he kind of gets this very subtle sort of Mona Lisa smile on his face. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now we get another one of those, for me at least, confusing sequences in animation, which is the doctor is taking a chair and smashing some kind of device with it. I couldn't tell what he was smashing, then we see him with this control unit, which I don't think that's what he was smashing. Uh, I just couldn't. It looked almost like a portable radio to me. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Exactly. And Ben makes some reference to him having stolen the control unit from somewhere. But if, if they did, we didn't. I mean, I think this is something where if we had the live action, we would have seen it in the background somewhere and we would recognize mm. it here. And I just don't know what this is and I don't know what he was smashing. So, you know. He's doing something. That's how we know. Yeah. And he points out, the doctor points out that they're in a conundrum because if they destroy the Daleks, the crew will be locked up or killed by the locals. But if they let the Daleks go, everyone will be exterminated. Hmm. <laughs> but whatever he's done with this control unit thing, he says, could be the answer to all our problems. We see Quinn taken away in handcuffs, and Polly is upset because she's sure he's innocent. But the doctor says they have other things to do. And they may just have to put up with a small injustice to, you know, do the greater good. And Lesterson, meanwhile, in his lab, is continuing his tests on the Dalek by increasing power to it. And then, so after he increases its power, he asks it some chemistry questions. And he's really amazed that it knows the answers. <laughs> and, uh, 
Although, as we future people have learned with ChatGPT, he may want to check those answers before he makes <laughs> us. <laughs> uh, Did we talk about the lawyers? Uh, did I tell you about that? Or have you read about that? Uh, I think you and I have talked about it. I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast. Well, I'll, I'll tell the story just in case. Yes. Yeah. So there's a law firm, and you know they were putting together a, a motion or a brief or whatever, and they needed to cite case law. So someone there asked chat GPT, and this is probably 3.5, which is a real mistake because 3.5 is uh, much more <laughs> subject to flight to fancy, for, for references, you know, uh, legal decisions that uh, met their requirements, right, to make their case. And so it came up with several, and they used them. And then the, the opposition, I think the um, prosecutors, replied to the court saying, we've looked these up and we can't find them. They don't exist. (laughs) And this is where they really got in trouble, right? Because, okay, he didn't, the guy didn't understand that because he didn't understand, especially with chat GPT 3.5. It's kind of like that ask the genie thing, right? (laughs) He was, he thought he was asking it for case law, but what he was really doing it was, was telling it to give him case law that, supported their case. So it just made it up, right? It was following <laughs> his rules, you know, in that old uh, monkey's paw thing as well, right? Um, <laughs> and so when they got this thing saying, we can't find these cases, he just went back to chat GPT and said, do these really exist? And it said, yes. So he, so, and this <laughs> is where he really got in trouble because it would have been understandable. And I think the judge would have given them a break if he had just not understood how chat GPT worked. And then when they were told the cases didn't exist, if they had, you know, gone and actually done the actual research, but he didn't, he just relied on mm-hmm. chat GPT telling him, no, they really exist. And so they proceeded oh. and that got them in big, big trouble with the court. Right. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, you were told these didn't exist. You didn't research it. You know, you, you're told the court in, in this questioning, the judge did, they, they told the court, well, this was just uh, assisting our research, right? This was just a, a tool that was helping in our research. It's like, no, this was your research. You didn't do any other <laughs> research. <laughs> so, so they lied to the court. Also, they lied because mm. it just to pile it on top of everything. The person who was putting together the brief was not registered or, you know, didn't have the proper credentials to submit that brief. So a common thing that will mm. happen in law firms is, you know, someone lower on the totem pole will put together the brief, and then the person whose name goes on it, their responsibility is to actually verify anything in it. Uh, Well, the person verifying it didn't verify any of it. And not only that, when the judge said, you know, you need to come and explain this, he said, well, I'm going to be on vacation. So the judge (laughs) gave them a continuance. But he wasn't on vacation. The lower level guy was on vacation. So they lied to the court through this whole thing. They didn't do it. <laughs> all started. So it's all, it's half chat GPT and half people, you know, being lazy and trying to cover their tracks and, and all this. And the end result mm. was this whole thing went viral and their law firm is a laughing stock <laughs> across the world. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, so yeah. before you use these uh, chemistry answers from the dog, you just want, might want to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although the question about the acid, the H2SO4, mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure that's accurate because uh, that's actually a punchline to a poem, I think. Okay. I don't remember what it is. It's out there. Ask Chad GPT about it. It'll know. <laughs> yep. So now the doctor shows up in the lab and Lesterson immediately wants him to leave because obviously he's 
kind of enemies uh, with him. And the doctor is like, no, 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 we just got off on the wrong foot. You know, I just want to come and help you out. Uh, give me another chance. And and so Lesterson does and, and lets him help out. And Lesterson goes back to asking his questions of the Dalek. And, and oh, and then the other person who's here is Landley, the woman who's part of the Rebels. And she gets a phone call, kind of a mysterious phone call, asking her to meet someone somewhere. And so she kind of slips out. I mean, she says she's going, but she doesn't say why. Then Lesterson goes to to ask more questions of the Dalek, and the doctor immediately breaks his word <laughs> and goes to <laughs> like a control panel and screws around with it and does some kind of probably overloading of the Dalek. It starts uh, having this whole lightning around it, and and also and again, if I don't know if they did something to modernize this or if it sounded this good previously, but the way the voice is, you know, screwed up from from kind of being electrocuted is pretty well done. But unfortunately, Lesterson stops what the doctor is doing before the Dalek is actually harmed. So, you know, it got got some shocks to it, but uh, it's still doing fine. And Lesterson kicks the doctor out. <laughs> and then we find out that Lanley was going to meet Bregan. I think it's Janley. Is it Janley? Have I been wrong this whole time? You're right. You're right. I've probably been saying it wrong already. I always get too sick. Well. Janley is what the yeah you were going for yeah okay. for one and I even and two, looked at your yeah. scripting I didn't notice the difference because okay mm. uh, yeah so so yes it is Janley and this is you know I take my own notes so I get my my misunderstandings in there uh, actually I'm not trying to say you don't take your own notes I, I will cut that out it's just it's not what I was trying to say uh, no, yeah. so it turns no I mean you're you're right I I I did not. Uh, take actual independent notes aside from about five lines of them. Well, now that I can say anything, because I actually have done the chat GPT thing and then had the notes all messed up and then we had to record it another time. So, so it turns out that Janley is meeting with Bregan and they're in cahoots. So now we get to see what's going on here. And Janley is like, let's take over the colony now. And Bregan says they need to wait because he's got this whole plan. So he now we learn that you know they created the concept of the rebels in order to get rid of the governor. So they in fact wanted the rebels to cause trouble, and then for that to make the governor look bad, and he would get kicked out, and then Bregan would take over as the governor. Janley shows him the gun that was taken from the Dalek, and he suggests that she tell the rebels that they can use it. Now we find out something disturbing. You know what was his name? Renzo. Uh, Reznor, Reznor. Like Fresno without yeah. the F. She says he actually was killed, but she hid that fact and bur- buried his body in the swamp and has, has just been telling Lesterson that he's that he's sick. So, uh, mm-hmm. so she knows how powerful this gun is, and she also says, you know, technically Lesterson caused his death because he was the one powering up the Daleks. So we can hold that over him if we need to. So. It's just, you know, yeah. these are, the, we don't quite get the cackling and hand rubbing, but it's it's pretty close. You know? <laughs> They're pretty ruthless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Ben and Polly are looking for the doctor and Ben goes off and Jan Lee now approaches Polly and says she knows where he is, but it's a trap. <laughs> and Polly's grabbed from behind and chloroformed. Now here again, I was, what I was remembering was uh, the sensor rights. I think uh, the, a bunch of this stuff happens there, right? There's a point where probably Barbara uh, gets chloroformed when she's off looking for the doctor or something. So <laughs> we've got these little plot mm. points. We've got enough stories now that 
there's some uh, duplication between them. <laughs> and uh, in, the person who chloroformed Polly is a rebel, a true believing rebel, right? And and Janley right. gives him the gun, and he's impressed with it. Says it could help them win the revolution. Uh, and then, <laughs> the doctor in another room is playing his recorder again. And it, again, annoying Ben because Ben's worried about Polly and the doctor is not – he refuses to believe Polly's missing. He's not interested in thinking about her. He's concerned about the Daleks. He does say that he's impressed that she's has curiosity and is out exploring to answer questions. But um, that's not what he wants to think about. However, Ben gets physical and he drags the doctor out of the room so that they can report that Polly is missing. And meanwhile, Lesterson is talking to the Dalek and he's relieved that he saved it from the doctor. And he's just – He's like emotional and he's, you know, and also he's clearly by this point kind of has the, the submissive part of this relationship, right? <laughs> with the Dalek. I mean, uh, and, and the Dalek's starting to kind of order him around. So the Dalek's like, what is this equipment over here? And again, Lesterson is just amazed. It's like, you have almost human curiosity. <laughs> There's a really funny bit here, right? The Dalek turns around and automatically starts to say, a Dalek is better than, and it stops and says, a Dalek is not the same as a human. <laughs> <laughs> so it can, it's barely controlling itself, but it is, it is, you know, still doing the act. And the Dalek says, if it's going to help, it has to know everything. So Lesterson tells it about the machine it's looking at. This is a machine that computes storms based on a weather satellite. And that's real important because they have really significant storms here with all this mercury flying around in the air and stuff, right? So, but it's only 70% accurate. And the Dalek says, well, the Daleks can create a computer with 100% accuracy. And Lesterson is blown away by this. And he's like, oh, really? And I said, yes, all you have to do is give me all the equipment and materials that I need, and we will make you a computer. <laughs> so that is a pr pretty clever little plan. Oh, yeah. And Lesterson says something about how you know, having 100% accuracy in predicting storms would save the colony all kinds of resources and money and so forth, right. which probably would. If we could predict storms with 100% accuracy, uh, I mean, that would be huge mm -hmm. <laughs> for Earth. <laughs> uh, so, you know, Lesterson runs off to get the material for the Dalek, and Ben and the doctor see Lesterson leave the lab, and the, so the doctor immediately wants to sneak in and see what's going on. And in the lab, they see the Dalek emerge from the capsule, and they have an argument with it. And the doctor says, you know, tells Ben to go and, like, cut the power. And he says, you don't have to worry because it's not armed. But then, dun-dun, <laughs> the other two Daleks emerge from the capsule. Oh, I forgot to mention, I mean, when Lesterson left, the first thing that the Dalek did was go over to the power panel and, like, uh, up the power. So presumably it was making power <laughs> available for the other, other Daleks. Yeah, And when the other Daleks come out and they have their guns and even the doctor knows that there's no getting out of this situation, they're not going to take on two armed Daleks. So he, he tells in a very, you know, Monty Python way, he tells Ben to run away. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the main Dalek tells the other ones that he sent the human for equipment that will allow them to generate static electricity and then they get around from all three of them in classic Dalek fashion. We will conquer. We will conquer. <laughs> uh, it, although, you know, you would get away with more things if you didn't constantly chant what your plans were. <laughs> uh, ben and the doctor are now talking with Lesterson and the governor. 
And Lesterson says, it doesn't matter if the Daleks, the other Daleks are powered up because I was going to do that anyway. Uh, <laughs> and the governor backs up Lesterson. And now he just goes even further than he has before. And he says, you have carte blanche to do anything you want with the Daleks and you will be given any resources you need. So the more the doctor tries to shut this thing down, the worse it gets. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ben and the doctor go into another room and Bregan enters and he confronts the doctor, says they found a body in the mercury swamp, and he thinks the doctor isn't actually the examiner. The doctor mm. points out the only way Bregan could know that is if he was the one who murdered the examiner. And Bregan says he'll convince the... I mean, Bregan basically comes clean at this point, right? And and acknowledges this, but he says he's going to convince the governor that the doctor killed the examiner so he could take his place. The doctor sort of calls his bluff and says, you won't actually do it because you can't be sure the governor will side with you on that. There's some chance he'll side with me. And mm. Bregan's like, well, okay, you know, just leave Lesterson and the Daleks alone. <laughs> and he, he leaves. Mm. You wonder if he's planning to kill them or something because bad guys like him don't just say, well, okay, whatever. Just don't don't cause me trouble. <laughs> right? That's not how it goes. Just mind your own business yeah. and I'll mind mine. Yeah. <laughs> and after he leaves, actually, you know, kind of related, someone shoves a piece of paper under the door that says, Polly is safe as long as you leave the Daleks alone. <laughs> and there was a funny thing about the animation because they show, uh, Ben picks up the paper and they show him holding multiple pieces of paper, but he says, what it says is leave Polly alone and the, or, you know, Polly is safe and we leave the Daleks alone. Well, they didn't write that on three pages of paper. So I think the, in the animation, they probably wanted multiple pieces of paper so that it would read his paper a little more than if they just mm. had one sheet or something. So Lesterson is asking the main Dalek if he disarmed the other two. And the main Dalek says, oh, yeah, I disarmed them. No problem. Because <laughs> why would we want to be armed? We're your servants and servants don't need guns. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> And the Dalek gets confirmation that, you know, he, he like presses Lesterson. Are we going to get all the stuff I ordered plus a power plant? And Lesterson is like, oh, yes, whatever you need. No problem. <laughs> uh, and so now with Lesterson in the room, the three Daleks get together and they all start chanting, we will get our power. We will get our power. <laughs> and, you know, we get kind of a shot of Lesterson where even he seems to be pausing a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, those Dalek team building exercises, <laughs> they're just uh, kind of ominous. Yep. And that's the end of the episode. <laughs> so episode four, and uh, the Daleks go on chanting about their power for a while. And we don't quite, in the animation, we don't really see what happens, but it seems like Lestison gets a good idea because he's a little upset about the Daleks getting all excited about having power. So he goes and turns down the power uh, until the Daleks can barely move or talk, and this upsets them. And Lesterson gets them to agree that he's in control since he controls the power. <laughs> and uh, I was going to wait till the end of this one. Mention, I didn't realize until like a day or two ago the pun in the title. Had you noticed that? Uh, the power of the Daleks. The power. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> That's pretty clever because, of course, it's all about them getting actual power as opposed to political power. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after he turns the power back on full, you know, the two extra Daleks, uh, they head back into the capsule and he's like, what's that all about? Where are they going? And the, the original main Dalek is like, oh, they're just going to await your orders. <laughs> so, <laughs> it seems plausible. <laughs> um, 
And the main Dalek then kind of distracts him by showing him the new climate computer and it amazes Lesterson and, and Lesterson ends, you know, the sequence by saying he's glad they understand each other. And I love throughout all the story, every time the Daleks say one of these things where they want to say something else, but they say what they have to in the moment, they do a really good job with that. And he's like, we understand the human mind. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's interesting, yeah, I had forgotten about that, but then in in episode five, one of the Daleks asks uh, at some point, oh, I think it's, it's he asks Bregan, why do humans kill each other? Right. Uh, which I probably should have put that in my notes because <laughs> it's interesting that it, uh, I'll just mention it here instead. Uh, it's interesting that apparently the Daleks don't, have much internecine warfare. Right. So, uh... It's them against the universe, yeah. Yeah, and also they don't understand what it is that would make a species kill each other, I guess. So, interesting. Elsewhere, the Doctor and Ben crash Bregan's office and demand to know what he's doing about finding Polly. And Dalek comes in with a drink tray. And this happens a couple times in the future, and it's always funny when they're being that submissive, right? They're, they're serving drinks. <laughs> and uh, 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 uh. and he, he's bringing a drink to Bregan, and he asks, do I bring liquid for your visitors? And Bregan says, no, they're about to leave. He's kind of rude. So after the doctor and Ben leave, the Dalek comes in and asks Bregan if he's finished his liquid. <laughs> it's always funny referring to liquid. Um, <laughs> and outside in the hall, the doctor wonders how long the Daleks will be able to move on these non-metal floors. So I'll I'll give them a point. Actually, they do this a lot in the story, right? They are actually consistent. A lot of things that they would normally, you know, ignore or hand wave, they actually address. And so they Mm -hmm. shouldn't, you know, we learned in the very first Dalek story, they need metal floors to move around. Now here they are hand waving a bit, which is they're pointing that out. uh, And they're kind of implying that they, they move around sort of on reserve power until they can get back to some metal floors again. But, uh, it's a little hand wavy, but at least they're acknowledging it, and it is part of the plot. Yeah, although we we have already seen that in that episode in London, which I think was like in the year twenty four hundred or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, the Daleks could move under their own power without metal floors. Right. In that and that's one. one where they were just ignoring it, right? <laughs> so in the story, yeah. they sort of come back and acknowledge it. The Doctor and Ben are off trying to search for Polly themselves since Bregan won't help out. And they then see three Daleks going through the hall. And it's actually Ben who who points it out uh, that there are three here, but they saw one in Bregan's office. And that means they there must be at least four, which there were only supposed to be three. Uh, and this mm-hmm. intrigues the Doctor. And back in the lab, Lesterson comes in to Janley with a new list of materials from the Daleks. And he's... He's confused because they gave him a list just a few hours ago and he gave him everything they wanted and now they have a whole new list and he's kind of like, how much can they be using, you know, to create this computer? And he wonders what they're doing in the capsule and he doesn't want them doing anything without asking him and he's starting to think the doctor might be right about them. And now, this is actually a nice transition. He says, their original thinking terrifies me. So up to now, everything's, oh, their curiosity, their human-like thinking, their, you know, et cetera, you know, fascinates me. And now it's their original thinking terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> and he threatens to destroy them if necessary. And he's got to go find the doctor to talk to him about it. But Janley now <laughs> pops the fact that Resno died and it's his fault. So, you know, he, she had told him all along that Resno was just sick and, 
off, you know, in his room or whatever. Yeah. But in fact, he died and she hid his body. And so she, you know, and she had mentioned earlier to Bregan that they could hold it over Westerson. And so now she does so and tells him that she'll tell everyone he was the, you know, it was his fault that Resno died if he doesn't uh, cooperate. <laughs> so Ben and the doctor arrive at the lab and Lesterson, now that he's been threatened and blackmailed, is being cagey with them. And the doctor asks if he's been building Daleks because he says they saw a fourth Dalek. And he denies that they have been. And the doctor says there's only one explanation. If the Daleks are reproducing themselves, nothing is beyond them given the right materials. And when he says the right mm-hmm. materials, that really gets to Lesterson, right? Because he realizes all the stuff he's been giving them is exactly what they would need. <laughs> Before he can sort of confess or anything, Janley calls the guard and gets the doctor and Ben expelled by claiming that they attacked Lesterson. So she's really uh, masterminding everything here. And Lesterson is so distressed. I mean, he starts freaking out here. And as we'll see, basically, in this episode the next, he basically goes mad. I mean, he's... Yeah, especially uh, in the the next one. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the deal here is that, you know, he started out as the stereotypical scientist who only cared about getting the, you know, the research done. But actually, he does care. Like, when she was talking to him about uh, Resno... He's like, well, no experiment is worth the death of a human, right? And and so he actually does have morals about all this. And if he had realized, you know, what was happening, he wouldn't have done it. Uh, and and it bothers him so much. We say he just starts to lose it. And he's so distressed that Janley is soothing him kind of with a mothering voice. And she gives him a drink. And it turns out it has a sedative in it to put him to sleep. And then uh, Valmar comes in. He's sort of the head of the rebels. And she tells him to, you know, that now that Lesterson's out, he has some extra time to lay the power cables that the Daleks want put around the base. Although they don't really know what these are for, but the Daleks want them and they want to be friends with the Daleks. So, <laughs> Meanwhile, in the hallway, the doctor figures out that this notice board actually has a code in one of the notices that tell the rebels when and where to meet. Because people keep going up to this notice and reading it and making notes and <laughs> it was you know, Ben and the doctor was oh, yeah. trying to figure out what was going on. And I think he says that it's just the simple old uh, first letter of every word. Or every capital letter or something, or something yeah. Like that. Yeah, you put it together. And so it turns out the rebels are going to meet tonight. So Ben and the doctor hide in the room where they're going to meet. And when the meeting starts, Janley and Valmar have rearmed the original Dalek and put a controller on the gun so they can control it. And they demonstrate shooting the Dalek gun through a two-inch tungsten metal, you know, sheet. Uh, and this shocks the rebels. And then Janley and Valmar are challenged to prove that they can keep the Dalek from shooting the rebels themselves. And they're, you know, there's a big consternation in how they're going to prove this and all this. So Janley volunteers to be the test case. And Valmar tells the Dalek to shoot Janley And he doesn't, and so she's still alive, (laughs) and they prove their point. (laughs) Uh, They think they've proved their point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And now Ben gets overexcited, and he reveals himself and immediately gets knocked out. (laughs) And all this time, the actual leader of the rebels has been sitting in a chair where we couldn't see him. Like, we could only see his arm when he'd be approving things, and it turns out to be Bregan. And he reveals himself to the doctor as the head of the rebels and of the Daleks. And Dalek starts to shoot the doctor, but Bregan stops it. And the doctor says he's going to report Bregan to the governor, but Bregan one-ups him by saying he'll reveal that the doctor is an imposter by presenting the body of the real examiner. 
And so he has the doctor put in a cell next to Quinn. And, you know, Quinn had been trying to talk to him as the examiner um, this whole story and had, had, had not been able to. So finally, uh, he, Quinn and him get to talk. And Quinn is surprised to find out that Bregan is the leader of the rebels. He knew Bregan was his problem and his enemy, but he didn't figure he was the leader of the rebels. Hmm. Quinn says it doesn't matter because the governor is popular. And even though the governor has his problems, you know, he's a good guy and the miners will support him. And the governor, I mean, in the entirety of these episodes, uh, the governor does come across as one of the better people, although he's uh, a little slow to uh, slow on the uptake <laughs> sometimes. I think an interesting thing about this story is that the characters are all complex, right? Like I said, Lesterson is, on the one hand, the scientist who's driven to do his experiments no matter what. But on the other hand, he actually does care and so much so that, you know, he breaks down when he discovers the results of what he's done. And similarly, as we'll see with Janley and others, you know, you have people who act very badly in some areas and then, you know, act better in other areas. And it's not, I mean, you know, they were willing to do pretty bad things. I mean, she was happy to use the rebels to take over the base, but as we'll see, she kind of converts to something else. But so it's not that they're a good person necessarily. It's just that they're not pure evil. Right? Yeah. And they have some uh, angles to them. Yeah. And, and in that, in, cause I, oh, I think I mentioned, and it, you know, along those lines, the governor, I mean, he is a politician. He is vain. He does want to do things to impress earth and, you know, increase his status. Uh, but it's also made pretty clear. He's also a good governor. Um, yeah. And you know, he's, he's not a bad guy. So the doctor is experimenting with using sound. Now he's not using the recorder. It's like a smaller thing. And, uh, I don't know what it was. It's, you know, a, it's a glass of water. Well, that's comes later. That First he's using later. a little, okay. yeah, using like a hand-sized uh, little flute or something. He's trying to get the doors unlocked. So basically he's doing different ways because it turns out, and I'm not sure this is the greatest security thing in the world, it turns out these electronic, you know, guard doors are controlled by sound. And when someone, you know, touches the uh, the lock on a door a certain way, the right sound plays and they open. So he's trying to figure out how to replicate that sound. Hmm. That reminds me, I, I haven't seen it for years, um, but in Airplane 2, I think it is, I was reading about it recently, and they, it mentioned a detail I'd forgotten about. I think it was airplane too. Maybe it's something else entirely. But, but the you know how like in science fiction you always have the hydraulic doors that slide open and stuff. And so, in in this, you'd uh, you'd have people walk up to the door and to open it, they'd go, <laughs> and that's what would make the door open. This made me think of that for some reason. So in his lab, Lesterson overhears the Daleks talking and realizes that they're conspiring together and he's not really in control of them. And he finally decides for sure that the doctor was right and the Daleks are evil. And he realizes there are indeed four of them. So he sneaks into the capsule and this is a big deal. And I know people have talked about when they're watching this show as a kid, you know, how um, that wouldn't have been the animated version of the actual version, but, uh, you know, how impressive it was because what we see here now is the Daleks are literally mass producing more Daleks, right, on a production line. What bugged me about these scenes in the in the factory part of the capsule is, I mean, it's they've been calling it a capsule all along. It's, it's in <laughs> Lesterson's lab, 
Uh, and they've got this whole multi-level factory in it. <laughs> so, I mean, and and I think they had said that they, like, found it in the swamp and recovered it from the swamp, if I remember right. So, I mean, it must be, I mean, just just to make it fit into the world, the maybe the laboratory is on one of the outer edges of the settlement and it's just hooked up to this gigantic uh, <laughs> spaceship thing that's sitting right outside of it but i don't know yeah or they got the tardis thing and being bigger on the inside than the outside or maybe they dug, oh there you go. dug out the space <laughs> under the capsule you know but yeah it doesn't make sense on the face of it <laughs> but what i was impressed by is again they actually do acknowledge because the problem i had going in that i assume would be a plot problem is that they were just going to be producing the Daleks as if they were robots, right? And it's always been a deal. They're not robots. They are biological beings inside a kind of robotic case. And they actually deal with that here, right? They have this kind of bubbling vat that they're sort of cooking up the biological Dalek in, and then they, they shock it and kind of bring it to life, and it kind of, you know, wiggles in a disgusting way and everything. Yeah, they just scoop it out with a big spoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Dalek soup. I mean, it basically looks like an oyster or something, right? <laughs> I mean, it's so good yeah, it's, you know, there's some neat, neat detail on them that uh, it looks vaguely like there's, I don't know how they did the effect exactly, but I could see, or maybe I just imagined it, the like little squiggles on like on people's mm. brains. Mm. So it looks like a big sort of flattened out brain that's, that's sort of almost filling up the whole body. Right, with kind of uh, with legs, almost like a spider or something around it, which is what we've yeah. seen before when it, you know, moves around and stuff on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, pretty impressive. And then they're kind of, you know, installing them into the Dalek cases that they've been creating. And then as they come off the line, it's like, you know, number one, number two, and, and they'll each say a Dalek thing as they come off the line. And we see lots of shots of the production process. <laughs> and there is one where in the live action, it's the classic case because you're seeing the Daleks roll off of the production line. And in the live action, it's the classic thing they would do with Daleks, right? Where you have like four of them and you just keep having them go in a circle. So they keep coming and the oh, same Daleks yeah. are coming off the line or coming out of the room. <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> And then we get a shot of a room full of Daleks and, you know, they're all, they're all making lots of Dalek noise. Now, this is more impressive than the, in the animation than in the original because they did have a good number of, Dal- of actual Daleks. But as they've also done before, all the Daleks in the background of the room were like stand-up cardboard, right? So, nah. so here we get actual. Yeah, this, this shot is pretty good. It's, uh, it looks like there's at least a couple dozen uh, yep. shown in the shot and it's, uh, it's pretty impressive although then that just uh that strained my disbelief in the capsule <laughs> even more and uh, all these daleks are ch- start chanting kind of out of sync and then they kind of get in sync and, and it's the classic end of episode dalek chant you know we are the new race of daleks we are the new race of daleks <laughs> <laughs> yeah so maybe they think the rest of their race has gone extinct or something yeah well they've been you know they were there for 200 years, so I guess that's what you were right. saying. And Could it's be. the end of the episode. Yeah. One thing I'll say is, um, and, you know, we went through this pretty quickly, but 
the I liked the animation more as it went along. Not that much changed. I mean, they're using the same models and just kind of moving them around and stuff. But in the first episode or two, you know, there there were these sort of fill-in periods we talked about where they didn't know what they were doing. And so the characters mm, would just stare at yeah. each other and stuff. As of this episode, there's none of that, right? I mean, it's they always have something for the characters to do. It always fits in. Uh, either they just had more information or because the story's moving faster now or something. So, And I feel like um, their representation of the Daleks and what the Daleks are thinking, or especially when they say something and you know they want to say something else, I think they do quite a good <laughs> job of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's really, this is a reasonably well-paced uh, series overall, I think. It's like, uh, there's not a lot of those glaringly obvious filler moments that you right. that we've seen in the past with Doctor Who. Well, it's a pretty good number of characters and plots going on, so they kind of have more to oh, yeah. to do. Um, you know, they don't have to. I mean, they do run down hallways, running through hallways. Oh, no, sure. But but they're actually typically actually doing something, right? <laughs> so, yeah, something going on. Hey, well, episode five. <laughs> Yeah, so it starts up with a little recap with, uh, you know, the doctor is uh, spying on the Dalek factory, and they chant that they're the new race of Daleks. Actually, it's Lester's, uh, It's actually Lesterson who's looking at them. Oh, I called him the doctor. Oh, oh that, you know, no, I was, I meant Dr. Lesterson. Um. I, I didn't mean like the, uh, <laughs> the doctor. No, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that was a, a inadvertent mistake there, but uh, I knew who I was talking about. <laughs> okay, so uh, the scientist, <laughs> Lesterson, he is in there spying on the Daleks, and he sneaks out, and he, he closes the door to the capsule. He actually struggles with it a little bit to get it closed, and uh, maybe it's just force of habit. Maybe he just feels safer if the door is closed. I don't know. But uh, but the door wasn't closed when he had gone in. So Jaylee is out there in the lab, and Lesterson, Lesterson now is getting really kind of, uh, he's very on edge, very nervous. He says, they're making themselves, duplicating. <laughs> so he goes to the big power panel that he has used before, and he shuts it down. So he's relieved. He thinks he's taking care of that business. He makes a kind of grandiose speech, right? I gave them power, and I have now taken away the power. And they're now, you know, <laughs> yeah, and I gave them life. I think he says, <laughs> yeah. So he plans now. He's going to just melt them all down with laser torches. He doesn't care. Janley threatens that she's going to uh, tell everyone about how Resno died and that he was responsible. At this point, he's just so concerned about the Daleks that he, he doesn't care at this point if she tells everyone. Uh, he tries calling the examiner, the, the doctor, but he's told that uh, the examiner has been put in prison. And then a Dalek emerges from the capsule, and it points out, or it explains, uh, that they're, right now they're operating on stored power, but soon enough, they'll have their own. And Lesterson, at hearing this, he's horrified, and he flees the laboratory. Another Dalek comes out of the capsule, 
and they discuss the two Daleks. They discuss uh, keeping the Dalek groups to three or fewer for now so that uh, nobody twigs to the scam yet. Yeah, I think he says something about the humans are not ready to know what are, you know, the uh, actually, does he say the power of the Daleks or the plan of the Daleks at that point or something? But yeah. I think he mentions the law of the Daleks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Actually. And that was a less exciting uh, story, the law of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> so out in the hallway, uh, Lesterson is heading toward the examiner's room. Uh, and this is kind of a funny little scene. It's just a little 15 or 20 second scene. But he uh, he meets one of Bregan's guards who is waiting out there, who tells him uh, the examiner is in prison, which Lesterson had just heard on the phone a few minutes ago. And Lesterson replies, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) So he's really not in the best mental state right now. Mm. Back in the laboratory, Janley and uh, Kebble, who's just sort of a big thug goon looking guy, they show up with Polly. Uh, She's bound and gagged. And uh, Janley explains to the Dalek that that, uh, Polly is against the Daleks. And the Dalek repeats, we are your servants. (laughs) And Polly says, while it suits you. Mm -hmm. So Polly's not fooled. And uh, Kebble takes Polly into the capsule uh, to wait for Valmer, who is, he's coming to hook up this new power cable that will solve all the Daleks' problems once and for all. Meanwhile, in prison, Doctor's in the cell next to Quinn, although I'm not sure if they're directly side-by-side. They might be kind of catty-corner. I'm I'm not sure. It was hard for me to make Mm -hmm. out the exact layout. Anyway, the Doctor is in the cell right next to Quinn, and he's making musical tones now on the uh, rim of a glass uh, with water in it. I think this is called a glass harmonica. Well, if you have many of them with different water levels, so they create different tones. But mm. uh, I think that's what it's called. But but it's some kind of actual musical instrument. I think they've even got like whole orchestras that are just like, uh, you know, 20 people with these glasses. Right. And you don't have to have a special glass. You can use like a wine glass to do this, right? And... Mm, yeah, I, I think you know it can't be too thick if I if I remember right. You know, I mean there has to be certain constraints on mm. it. I think, but uh, but it's it's yeah I've I've done it myself before. Um, so he's trying to generate the right note that'll unlock this sound based lock. Lesterson enters. He's hysterical, but because it's the jail, there are guards in here, so he only has time to tell the doctor that the Daleks are duplicating. Uh, and then the guards seize him, and they take him off to Bregan. The doctor doesn't seem... He seems hardly even to have noticed Lesterson's entry. He asks one of the remaining guards for more water. And then he adds water to his glass. And he actually he actually does get more water. Uh, he adds water you know, to keep testing the tones, trying different levels. In the governor's office, Bregan is sitting at the governor's desk, and the Dalek is in there laying power cables. Lesterson comes in. Uh, the Dalek lies and says it's laying the cable on uh, Lesterson's orders. Mm-hmm. And Jan Leander's then, and she lies that Lesterson proposed to report to the hospital. So they're both, they're either 
Well, they're probably not fooling each other so much, but they're gaslighting the guy, it seems, <laughs> almost. You're crazy. But they don't say that. In fact, they're in a little bit, they're very careful to insist that, that oh, you're not mad. You just need some <laughs> treatment. Mm -hmm. Back in the capsule, the factory slash capsule, Valmer and Kebble are setting up the power cable. Oh, Kebble and the cable. It's cute. <laughs> uh, Polly says they couldn't stand up to a real man like Ben, and Kebble reveals to her that Ben is a prisoner now. Polly tries to convince Volmer that the Dal Daleks, uh, Daleks will, will turn on the rebels. She reveals that the doctor isn't the real examiner, which uh, there aren't too many people around at this point who didn't realize that probably, but, uh, but she's revealed it. Uh, a Dalek enters, Volmer requests a new junction box, uh, and it's not clear, maybe... Maybe he really needs it, or maybe he's just trying to buy time to talk with Polly without having a Dalek lurking around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was my impression. He's sort of getting convinced that the Daleks are a problem. Yeah, it's, it's he's going to start buying into it a little bit. Polly says the Daleks don't have friends. <laughs> she says it's kind of a hatred for anything unlike themselves. They think they're superior, so... Uh, arguably, uh, given this was just 20 years after World War II, uh, might be kind of a heavy-handed uh, <laughs> allegory of the Nazis. But, uh, well, the Daleks uh, always have been that, yes. <laughs> yeah. So Vollmer, uh, after some discussion, he's nearly convinced. Uh, he proposes telling Janley about this, but Polly says Janley will betray them. And this was a mistake because Kebble mentions that Vollmer is soft on Janley, so she's a she's insulting this gal there, or would-be gal. <laughs> In the governor's office, the governor returns uh, from his trip, his little uh, inspection tour out in the interior. He asks about what all these power cables are for. The guard explains it's the new emergency supply. And... Uh, Governor asks him why why he's uh, got a gun and what he's doing there, and the guard says he's in Bregan's guard. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's kind of ominous. Mm -hmm. In the prison, the doctor is still playing around with his glass, making noise, and finally the guard tells him to cut it out. So the doctor starts playing his recorder instead, which is not, not an improvement, <laughs> uh, in, in my book at least. So the guard... Get comes over towards the doctor's cell, uh, you know, looking threatening. And this is when Quinn slides open the door to his cell and knocks out the guard. And it seems like he sneaks up on him, which is why I'm not sure exactly <laughs> about how these cells are arranged. Right. But uh, anyway, the guard's knocked out, and the doctor had apparently found the tone that opens the cell doors, because Quinn got Mm. And now the doctor leaves his cell, and together they lock up the guard, and they're careful to take the water and the glass out of the room so that he can't pull the same stunt. In the governor's office, Bregan's still sitting at the governor's desk, as we saw in a scene a while back. The governor explains that he got tired of his tour, and he asks what's been going on here. 
And Bregan tells him just a moment, like in a tone that suggests, don't bug me. I'll be with you when I'm with you. It's also, you know, I think they do a pretty good job here of laying in this whole backstory that they know. They say a little bit, but they don't explicitly explain that clearly, you know, they've had these rebels causing problems. And as a result, the governors had to go out and spend all this time going to different places on the planet to deal with the rebel problems and, you know, and all this. And so, and at this point, it's taking up so much of his time, he's just gotten tired of the whole thing, right? And so he comes back early oh, and yeah. kind of messes up the plans by coming back early. <laughs> well, he, he doesn't mess him up too much. <laughs> <laughs> so Bregan explains, finally, he condescends to explain that uh, the doctor, or the examiner, as he thinks of him, is in jail. He's an imposter uh, examiner and possibly a murderer as well because the real examiner's body was found in the swamp. Mm. Um, they talk more and Bregan starts to get insubordinate, just outright disrespectful and not uh, following the governor's instructions. So the governor finally orders the guards to remove him, but Bregan reveals he's in charge now and these guards in here are of course Bregan's personal guards and they won't let the governor leave uh he he intends to storm out you know go uh, rally support elsewhere but uh, uh the guards won't let him out <clears throat> a Dalek enters the room Bregan dismisses the guards uh, so it's just the Dalek, the doctor, and Bregan. Or no, not the doctor, the governor. <laughs> that one I got wrong. That, just briefly, I would just use the wrong word. Uh, anyway, the governor won't play along. Bregan uh, installs the the gun on uh, the Dalek. He's, he's, he's holding one of their little guns detached. He installs it on the Dalek and orders it to kill Governor Hensel. And uh, he says... From now on, I will have complete obedience from everyone. <laughs> yeah, so, May not work out. And, you know, yeah, it was a little bit surprising. Like, the governor's been a character throughout these, and and then he comes back, and then it's just, well, well he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Bregan gave him a chance to uh, play along, but the governor, uh, governor was stubborn, and uh, it bought him a patch of land. The Dalek says to Vollmer, with static power, the Daleks will be twice as useful. <laughs> Clearly, he meant to say powerful, yeah. but uh, caught himself. One of the things that I do think they did really well, and, you know, I almost wonder, I mean, the sound is so good in this, I almost wonder if they had actors re-record some of these lines or something, but um, the, the Dalek lines are really well done, because as the story goes on, you can see it just gets harder and harder for them to say the thing they're supposed to say, right? They really want to say <laughs> what they <laughs> actually want to say. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jinli, Vollmer, and Dal the Dalek leave the laboratory, and uh, it turns out the doctor was lurking in there, and he overheard everything they were saying. And the doctor is talking out loud. Uh, it seems like he's thinking out loud, although it turns out there's another person in the room with him. We'll find out shortly. But in the capsule, Polly and the rebels overhear all this talk. Polly shouts a warning. Kebble, the big goon guy, he uh, emerges from the capsule into the lab carrying a big old wrench. But Quinn was waiting right next to the capsule door, and uh, he, he attacks Kebble. 
And uh, somehow he knows enough about the Daleks' guns that he can use one of these detached guns to uh, to hurt Kebble's arm. And uh, the Doctor and Polly then get caught up, but a Dalek uh, emerges from the capsule and they flee. And the Doctor uses his wrench, or a wrench, probably the one Kebble was holding, to uh, to bar the door. It's one of those... It's got those uh, looped metal pull handles, so he just slides it through those. Mm-hmm. One of the Daleks shoots. He shoots at the door, but the door isn't busted. It just It's almost as if it shot through the door to disable that wrench somehow. It's, the mechanical side of it isn't exactly clear, but, <laughs> uh, but he's got the doors open now. Back in the factory, uh, we see that there are lots of Daleks now, and they plan to uh, wait in this factory capsule until uh, till the humans begin their infighting, which is just a matter of time. Uh, and they begin chanting their trademark, <laughs> exterminate, exterminate. In the governor's office, the doctor and Quinn and Polly find the governor's body. Now, I... I thought I actually saw some smoke rising off the governor's body, though that could have just been a hallucination or something. <laughs> but uh, but he's freshly dead anyway. Bragan enters with his guard and tells them that he's declared martial law, and he says, "Take them away," which is a very uh, very Star Warsy in line there. In the capsule, one of the Daleks tells the others, "Orders received." Exterminate all humans. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. They're coming to get us. Yep. So episode six, and, you know, we continue on. So they're still yelling, exterminate all humans. But then that's not good enough. They, you know, they, they got to find some other words. So they're, they're kind of rotating between exterminate, annihilate, destroy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And they swarm the base, you know, with people with Daleks yelling exterminate as they're going along the hallways. And there's some there's some oddness here. And I don't know how much of this is what they did in the animation versus what was in the original story. But with Daleks running all over the place yelling exterminate, there's some stuff that doesn't quite make sense here. So right up front, uh, the Doctor, Polly, and Quinn are being, you know, brought along by a guard. And they encounter a couple of Daleks. Now, we're already in this extermination thing, and yet the Daleks just let them go. They just say, oh, this is a restricted area and make them take a different route. (laughs) And once they leave, the Daleks are like, well, we're going to exterminate them. (laughs) It's just like, wait, why? (laughs) They were right in front of you. You're armed, you know. (laughs) It's taken a very laid-back approach to the extermination. Yeah. Plot armor, as we call it. (laughs) (laughs) Jan Lee enters Bregan's office, and she's all happy and says they've won, the revolution is over. But Bregan tells her the revolution is not quite done yet, as now they need to crush the rebels. And she's uh, taken aback by this because she says the rebels are our people, you know, and et cetera. But, uh, you know, I'm a little confused about it because, like in the very first episode, I think, Bregan made it clear that the rebels would be crushed um, on the mm-hmm. way to taking over. So I don't know if she wasn't quite paying attention or... Maybe a writer forgot about that or something. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe she interpreted the, interpreted that to mean that they would just uh, be disbanded and uh, forced to get back to their normal yeah. routines. But I don't know. Uh, so Bragan tells her that you know she should tell the rebels that the guards have taken over and get them to attack the guards, and then the rebels will be crushed. Although 
you know, they've given the rebels the Dalek weapon, at least one of them. So, you know, that could be a problem. But <laughs> So Jan Lee, like, she is, like I say, conflicted about this, and it's clear. And Bregan asks her if she's on board, and what she doesn't see is he's starting to open a drawer with a gun in it, so he's going to take care of her if not. But he, he had earlier said that, you know, he valued her and all this. And I think that's true because once she sort of stands down and says that she'll go along with it, he doesn't shoot her. So uh, yeah. he's the kind of guy who would shoot her if he really felt he needed to. So. Oh, yeah. Velmer overheard some of this, uh, Jan Lee and Bregan talking. So he goes to where Ben is being held and he now tells him that he's fallen out with Bregan and he's now going to help Ben and he's going to get Ben's friends and bring them here. So it's not quite clear if Ben is in a prison or is just being held in a room, but it's not the same kind of prison the doctor was in earlier. So I think he's just being held yeah, in a room. Yeah. Just in a storage closet or something. Probably. Yeah. And uh, Bregan then gets a report from a guard that the rebels are massing and he gives an uh, address over the public speakers to tell everyone the rebels are revolting, which always reminds me of the phrase. And <laughs> there's, I don't know if we ever talked about there's the old, it's probably still around, who knows, that old comic, uh, there was supposed to be the a Wizard of Vibs. Yeah, yeah. And they had a, they had a really good, you know, <laughs> the, the peasants are revolting and that's what I was like. <laughs> Yeah, that was, it's funny that we, I mean, yeah, that's a pretty common joke and it, it's, it's funny that you and I both thought of the exact same cartoon. <laughs> Maybe one of the, you know how they, they would publish paperback collections yeah. of them. Maybe oh, yeah. there was yeah. one of those. I think though, yeah, it was the back. cover of one of them. So I think that's why I saw it a lot. <laughs> so Vollmer does bring the doctor, Polly and Quinn to where Ben is. And the doctor has Quinn keep Ben and Polly from following him and he leaves we hear a lot of gunfire. That's another one where I wonder if they kind of, um, you know, there, there's a guy named Mark Ayers who does the sound reconstructions on, on these. He uh, he started, I think he learned sound stuff because he wanted to work on the Doctor Who stuff. And um, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me again if they put in some new gunfire and stuff because it's pretty well done. And we hear a lot of it as we go forward. And the Daleks are killing a lot of people. And uh, we see the Doctor seemingly get shot and he's on the floor and again there's kind of an animation thing here it's not really clear but you know later he just pops up again so they don't try to so presumably he was kind of faking it yeah jan lee comes across velmar and even though he's sweet on her as was said or soft on her as they said uh he threatens her because he you know he hurt her with bregan and she said no she's really on his side against bregan and and this is another thing that's a uh, Maybe it make more sense in the live action, but it's a little unclear because, again, Daleks are running all over the place, yelling, exterminating, killing lots of people. And yet there are two Daleks in this room somehow still pretending to be allies to the rebels. So maybe they think that they're running around killing all the non-rebels or something. Yeah. And uh, they say, we want to be brought to kind of your center of power, to the leader of the group, so that we can fight for you. <laughs> and, uh Jan Lee is still buying it and says they must trust and use the Daleks. And I think there's an interesting theme and it kind of goes throughout the whole series, which is, you know, it's sort of like when they say that only a um, greedy person can be conned here. It's like, once you've decided you're going to use the Daleks, that's when you're in trouble, right? Like nobody <laughs> uses <laughs> the Daleks. <laughs> yeah. So the doctor shows up back where Ben and Polly and company are. 
after I guess faking being dead. We're still hearing lots of background gunfire. Bregan then does another public announcement telling everyone to stay at home. <laughs> and a guard tells him that the rebels are using the Daleks against them and guns don't work against the Daleks. But Bregan isn't interested in hearing it and tells him to get out there and fight them. It's a little bit like, uh, was it the war machines, right? When the no, the war machines were disabling all their weapons and they, <laughs> they would sort of keep going toward them. <laughs> it took me a minute. That, that's the one with the supercomputer. Yeah, right? yeah, Doctor. Oh, yeah. It's required. Yeah, they had those great big tank machines mm. that, yeah. <laughs> they coincidentally <laughs> could stop grenades from working. <laughs> yeah, that's a good trick. So Janley is trying to still direct the Daleks on who they should shoot. But surprise, a rebel shows up and the Dalek shoots the rebel anyway. And then turns around and announces to Janley and Valmer that their usefulness is over. <laughs> and he's about to kill them, but a guard distracts him by shooting at him. So he turns and shoots the guard and they run away. And the doctor and company get to Lesterson's lab and he is totally bonkers now. I mean, <laughs> he's, he's actually kind of like gone full circle. He's like... It's so useless. Of course, they're going to take over and they're sort of perfect beings. They're, you know, they're the sort of evolutionary replacement of humans. And our only option now is to follow them and, you know, do what they want and all this. So he's like, uh, oh, yeah. It's kind of like uh, there are a few different alien movies, at least uh, the first one you had Ash, who really admired the alien's mm. purity. And then I think it was Alien, uh, alien Resurrection. You had the uh, scientists who were just at least one of them was just crazy and absolutely adored them. Even when he was like stuck up on a wall with the alien resin, he was still <laughs> just, uh, just in love with them. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's a neat little twist. I'm, I'm glad they put it in here. It's, uh, it's too bad for Lesterson. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And he ends his speech by saying, you know, they are the new species taking over from homo sapiens. Man's had his day finished now. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> And uh, they overhear the Daleks saying that the static circuit is nearly complete. And uh, meanwhile, in some hallway, Janley tries to use a machine gun against the Dalek, and she gets the negative film treatment. She's dead, too. <laughs> yeah. The negative film treatment. That's exactly what it is. And Lesterson tells the doctor and company that Vollmer has been installing a secret power cable for the Daleks. And the doctor wants to know, where is this? And he wants to know more about it. And Lesterson's like, well, you'll have to ask Valmer. Or perhaps the Daleks. They know everything. Yes, you should ask the Daleks. That's <laughs> just like how, how ridiculous he's gotten at this point. <laughs> and uh, then we just get lots of scenes of the Daleks killing people. I, I imagine they were able to do more of these scenes in the animation than were probably in the live action. But uh, Yeah, yeah, it's really, uh, it's really a bloodbath in the animation, I believe. Yeah. I mean, you don't see blood, but, uh, you know, it's a lot of people dying. The doctor develops a plan to use Bregan's guards to keep the Daleks busy. Meanwhile, Bregan is trying to contact people around the base, but everyone he tries to contact is dead. And we get, just to bring it home, this really long shot that goes down a hallway while he's trying to contact people on the radio. And you just see dead person after dead person. And several of them are people from the plot, right? Jan Lee and Valmar and, you know. Um, so it's just like, oh yeah, oh boy. <laughs> Usually when the Daleks go on about exterminating, they, they don't manage to actually get around to it. But this time they, um, they actually do some stuff, some exterminating. Yeah, they're, they're making an honest effort here. <laughs> and Bregan now broadcasts an announcement to the Daleks that they must work for him and not the rebels and he'll give them anything they want. <laughs> 
And Quinn enters Bregan's room with a pistol and tells him to call in his remaining guards from outside the base. That was the doctor's plan. To distract the Daleks while the doctor fixes things. And in the lab, the doctor is with Ben and Polly and he has this plan. Ben just wants him to cut the power, but he says he has his own plan. He's doing something with a box. And this is another thing that's not clear because I never understood what his plan was because he ultimately ends up basically just, well, he doesn't quite cut the power. He does do something else. It's kind of a, maybe an overload the power thing. And he's doing something with a box of some kind. We can't really tell what it is. And then the Daleks enter and they all hide behind a desk uh, from the Daleks. And the Daleks highlighted this notice that their cables have been moved. And Lesterson appears from the capsule and he says, I can tell you who did it. <laughs> and uh, the Daleks are like, why were you in the capsule? And, you know, now really creepy, Lesterson says he wants to help the Daleks. And now he says, I am your servant. <laughs> <laughs> and he also and this is I like how they did this um, he says oh, yeah. you won't kill me I gave you life and one of the Daleks says yes you gave us life and instantly shoots him <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was well done I got a kick out of that it's also a little uh, memorable uh, you know resonant to uh, Blade Runner remember when um, he kills the scientist uh, oh, uh, oh, Tyrell. Yeah, yeah. when uh, Roy Batty is up there playing chess with him. Yep. Huh. Meanwhile, uh, the doctor is screwing with the power panel. So, you know, like I say, all I can guess is instead of cutting it as he's doing some overloading thing, which he'd already done an overloading thing in the story, so it's not that surprising. And the Daleks start shooting at him, but the panel blows up, and the Daleks begin spinning around and smoking, and then we see Daleks all through the base just sort of powering down and blowing up, so... You know, it's kind of a deus ex machina. There's, you know, there's no real meaning to it. There's no real setup for it. It's just, oh, okay, he's going to do something on the power panel and all the Daleks blow up. So, um. Now, I wonder, I think this actually was already used earlier, so maybe this isn't the same thing. But you remember when he had, when he had that little thing he was tinkering with and he said it was a control module or mm, something? It looked like early a little on, transistor yeah. radio. But I thought he had used that already when he tried to shut down the power module earlier and had only limited success. Yeah, so yeah, it's a little murky. When I said Deus Ex Machina, I think it's Deus Ex Machina. It's one of those that I've read. I think, yeah, I think it, either one is probably okay, but I think Machina is probably like the classical Latin <laughs> uh, version. So now we get to see lots and lots of Daleks die. And Bregan realizes that the doctor has succeeded and he grabs Quinn's gun from him and insists that Quinn do his bidding. He's sort of, he's getting reduced into how many people he can uh, control in his world. <laughs> but before Quinn can agree or not, Bregan is shot from behind and it turns, oh, I, I said earlier that Valmar died and I was wrong. Turns out that Valmar um, shot Bregan and killed him. And which is a kind of big deal for him because Bregan was his leader and he had, he had trusted him. And uh, now Quinn tells Valmar that they'll rebuild things together and they walk out literally supporting each other, kind of holding each other up. And they head to the lab <laughs> where the doctor, <laughs> this is a funny little bit. It's part of that whole, you know, regeneration thing. The doctor with the power overload managed to knock himself unconscious and he wakes up and they're all like, oh my God, you did it. You know, you saved everybody. And he's like, oh, I did what? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> And they kind of end the story, too, with him kind of – it's one of those things where they're like, oh, you remember what you did, right? Or you did that on purpose, right? And he just, he just kind of winks and won't won't say whether or not he sort of did it by accident or on purpose or what. 
<laughs> and Valmar points out that the Doctor may have stopped the Daleks, but as a result, it will be months before they can get the colony up and running again. And it's clear, <laughs> you, also, you know, you start to wonder if uh, they're going to accuse them of something. And the Doctor tells Ben and Polly, let's get out of here before the locals send us the bill. You know, <laughs> <laughs> And as the crew heads outside uh, toward the TARDIS, that's when Polly asks the doctor, you knew what you were doing, didn't you? And he just laughs and refuses to say anything. Mm-hmm. And they get into the TARDIS and dematerialize, and our last shot is a partially blown up Dalek that was outside the TARDIS. And it's the end of the story. So, um, well, I guess, you know, first, we've talked about the animation a bunch, and there's anything more there. Uh, you know, so... what? It is the animated version, but what's your uh, initial reaction to the new doctors? Uh, I'm warming up to him a little. I don't uh, see him ever achieving Hartnell's greatness, though <laughs> there's a chance I could be wrong. But uh, but I, I am warming up to him a little, though. That recorder, really, uh, <laughs> I wish they could somebody would just snap that in half. But other than that, the new, the new doctor, uh, I'm... You know, I'm taking a wait-and-see approach for now. I, I, I definitely, over the course of the six episodes, um, the the later three episodes, he he seemed to have his act together a little more. Just, I mean, you know, in, in context of the fictional character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm, uh, you know, yeah, and I, it I think, could work uh, out real well. The recorder may be around for a story or two. I think after that, it... Uh, it becomes just something that he'll pull out once in a while. It's sort of like uh, with Hartnell, the cape is sort of considered part of his character, but really he only wore the cape once in a while, right? Uh, not all the yeah. time. Um, so I think it's sort of like that. So story-wise, and I'll say that the initial reaction to the story was mixed, but over time people have cons- come to consider it one of the best uh, Dalek stories. And... Uh, my opinion is, um, I think, now we've seen the dogs have some good lines before, even in the, uh, oh, the, the, the never ending story, uh, the plan of the Daleks or the, the whatever, you know, the one where, Oh, the 13 episode one. Uh, yeah. Okay. They had yeah. some good lines in that, but you know, their, their plot as we talked about or their plan or anything wasn't too impressive. Uh, this one actually is the first Dalek story where I think they're actually intelligent and scary and, you know, especially the degree to which they're deceiving the humans, even though it mm-hmm. really, really gets under their skin to do so and how obvious that is. And the fact that I think almost every single time they said, I am your servant, they said it in a different way, which reflected where they were in the story, right? And how close mm-hmm. they were to not having to say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Daleks were fun in this. Uh, they they definitely... Uh... You know, the, there were those couple lines where they, they had to sort of stop and correct themselves. Uh, you know, like we are, uh, one of them starts to say we are better than humans at one point, and then <laughs> another point, uh, we can be twice as useful, you know, and so on. <laughs> so, th- so there were, there were some cute little, uh, cute little variations in there. And, uh, but yeah, overall, I mean, it's really that, that one lone Dalek, um, who had the, wits about him to uh, try and feign being uh, their servant uh he was uh he had his had his act together and you know eventually managed to get a whole uh 
whole little civilization of Daleks started there. <laughs> uh, so pretty impressive. Now, the humans, on the other hand, they were not so smart. I mean, especially Janley. I mean, she just wanted to believe in the Daleks up to the bitter end. Mm. And, uh, uh, yeah, that, I mean, I would like to think that if I was one of the colonists and this guy comes up and says, uh, I've seen these guys before, they're bad news, don't get messed up with them, I might at least take some moment to, to think about it. You know? but, <laughs> These everybody left and right is just brushing them off. Like, what do you know? You're just the examiner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and as I said, one of the things I like is that I think um, several of the characters are unusually complex. And, you know, as we said, we have the scientist who kind of goes crazy when he realizes what he's done. But then goes, as we say, it's not then like he's now a good guy. He then goes around the bend and starts supporting the Daleks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you have Janley who... Yes, she redeems herself a bit by rejecting Bregan in the end, but she's still trying to rebel against the popularly elected and popular governor by, you know, violence and using the Daleks. I mean, so even when she's done something kind of honorable, she's still doing really bad things in the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, uh, to think that Bregan would be anybody you'd want to have governing you in any capacity is a pretty lousy judgment there. Yep. Um, I mean, Valmar had the more traditional thing, right? I mean, he's, but he was never really a bad guy. He was just being manipulated the whole time, right? The rebels were sort of created yeah. by Bregan and Jan Lee and fed a bunch of lies. And then, um, and then once he knew what was going on, he became a good guy and he didn't, uh, didn't screw around. Uh, so, yeah. so we had this whole variety of things, but I thought that was nice. Ben and Polly, well, Ben actually had some good lines and actually was smarter than usual and re- did some of the realizing and stuff in the story. Polly didn't have much to do. I get the impression, I didn't look this up to be sure, but I'm pretty sure she was on vacation for a couple of weeks because we had the classic, she's kidnapped and disappears oh, for a couple of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so she didn't have much to do in the story. It was mostly Ben and the Doctor, and, and but really, I'd say the, you know, the side characters, or, or at least the the non-crew characters, were the ones who really had a lot going on. You know, especially the scientists. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we come to uh, is it worth watching for a modern audience? What do you think? <laughs> I enjoyed it actually. I, uh, <clears throat> you know, going by. The standard that you mentioned of uh, would you force your friends to watch it, demand they sit down and, you know, stay glued to the TV. Uh, I wouldn't go that far, but it was fun. It's uh, I'd say it's in the upper 50th percentile of the, you know, it's above average. I, yeah, I might. <laughs> the way I might put it is if I, want, if I wanted to introduce someone to the Daleks who, who, you know, wasn't familiar with them from modern culture, this might be the story I would start with. Because uh, it yeah, could be, yeah, you know, I think it's the best presentation of the Daleks and makes them actually somewhat scary, as I said. And of course, so far, at least, well, you've you've seen a lot of Doctor Who. For me, I'm seeing it in order, so I've only seen four or five story arcs, maybe with Daleks in it. Uh, whereas we have decades more to come. <laughs> yep. So, but as of now, this would be a, this would be a good one to recommend for the Dalek starter course here. And okay, so next up we have one that's really unfortunate. You know, it's why 
that it's it's totally lost. Uh, it's one of those I think the fans would pay a lot or trade off some of the ones that have been recovered to get, and it's called the Highlanders, and it introduces a very important character going forward. Is it is it somebody of which there can be only one? <laughs> could be, could be. <laughs> 